And then I have a creative consultant. And she, the first time I met her, I told her this. I said, I failed at everything I've ever done. Why would I, why is this next step in my career going to be any different? I'm going to fail again. And she sat me down and said, uh, you, the, none of these are failures. You're just an artist. And every one of these things that you're, you've done and that you've considered a failure is just you exploring being an artist. And like that, she doesn't know how much that changed my whole life. Hello and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm your host, Nishant Jain. This is a show where I speak with artists and urban sketchers who draw or paint their worlds from observation. I try to find what motivates them to find beauty in their environment and how this practice informs their art and improves their lives. Keeping up with Instagram is a common problem for artists today all over the world. Shallow interactions and opaque metrics lead to creatives never fully understanding their audience. This means also not getting a picture of how their work is perceived. What works? What doesn't? How much is okay to share and what is too much? We are at the whim of invisible, capricious algorithms. Both the creator and the follower on the other side would prefer a more meaningful, deeper connection. But Instagram works very much like a drug. It is addictive and harmful in many more ways than are immediately obvious. It has affected our ability to engage with great art, and it has ruined our attention spans with the promise of another dopamine hit right after the next scroll. In this episode, I speak with Emma Carlyle, an illustrator and artist in Cornwall, England. We talk about the damaging effects of an Instagram following, even when it is a large following, to the psyche of a creative person. We talk about how invisible expectations can dictate our lives right up until the moment that we break. Emma talks to me about suffering from burnout, the tremendous pressures of being a freelance illustrator, and how all art suddenly became joyless for her in the middle of everything. In this light, we speak about location drawing, experimenting with colors, and the benefits of having friends who will literally throw your sketchbook into the sea to teach you a good lesson. We talk about how Emma rekindled the joy she had always found in art, and the purposeful ways that are now driving her practice, with a clear sense of engagement with her true fans, both inside and outside of Instagram. We talk about Patreon, sketch-along workshops, and putting together books and videos of her work. This is a very engaging and very long conversation that I enjoyed very much, and I hope that you will too. At the end of it, Emma and I spoke for another part of the conversation that I call the postscript. This segment is being released to Sneaky Art Insiders exclusively this weekend, and I'll be talking a little more about it in the break that I have somewhere around the halfway mark. For now, let's get started. (laughs) 
Good afternoon, Emma, and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm super happy to speak with you today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's um, I think I was saying before, like I've listened to so many episodes, it kind of feels like I already know <laughs> you, but this is the first time we're meeting, so that's yeah, it feels weird but lovely. <laughs> Uh, tell let's let's go into that a bit deeper tell me a little bit about it what's it like to listen to a podcast and then to well maybe not about me but what what's it been like to listen to the podcast what are some of the episodes you've enjoyed so I listened to I think the last when so you reached out um a few weeks ago and I think the one you just released was Anna's episode mm-hmm. um and me and Anna actually don't live that far away from each other it's probably about an hour from each other um so I listened to hers and it felt weird because I know her work so well through Instagram, but I knew nothing about her as a painter or artist or an illustrator. So it was so interesting hearing all the all about her from like a completely different side because I think you see so much visually of an artist and an illustrator. It's so interesting to then hear more about them. So that's been it's been lovely to hear about people's sort of process and how they got into drawing on location. And that's been, I mean, that has been amazing because when you do a lot of location drawing, you do feel like you're the only one who's doing it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So it's been so nice to just sit in my car or sit whilst I'm driving or sit working on some deadlines and thinking like, Oh my gosh, yeah, me too. I do that. And like suddenly you don't feel so weird and alone. <laughs> so nice i i agree with that sentiment so much it's some of the best conversations i've heard it's been that way for me i listen to them while i'm drawing something or i listen to them while i'm walking somewhere and it feels like you're part of the conversation in a sense except of course passively so but it's really nice when sometimes you hear exactly that you hear someone saying something exactly the way you think about it and you get this sense of not being alone which is which is kind of how being an urban sketcher has felt very often to me like it's it started off as a this very strange thing that I felt like doing just to try to learn to draw and I thought it's just it's just so bizarre nobody else must do this and I need to I need to hide this and not not let people find out that I'm doing this really strange thing I'm a grown man with a sketchbook and a pen and yeah. that's kind of how a uh, sneaky art came about <laughs> like the name of it um so i'm i'm really curious about your work because uh uh i i put out a call on my instagram and i asked uh, listeners and fans to recommend some new artists to me who i didn't know about and yours was one of the names that came up and unfortunately i had no idea about your art before that and i was really amazed to discover it and really pleased to see the different kinds of things you do so I then I reached out to you I found out more about you and I looked I just I trawled through your Instagram looking for the different kinds of things you do so I sort of want to uh, I want to uh, pick up on how it how it began this is something that's that makes me curious about lots of artists because of how unique and different everyone's trajectory is and yeah. how that often ends up defining the kind of art they make in sometimes very subtle ways. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something I'm a little curious about. And I want to ask you about how you sort of came to this idea of becoming an illustrator. Just 
maybe the first time you thought about it and the paths that you took towards joining university to study it also uh, what how what did you see it as like when uh, sometimes when we're young and in different phases of our career we have such a different idea of what that career might mean what the future trajectory we will follow is so i want to get a sense of this this early idea that you had of your of the trajectory you wanted to follow yeah so it's interesting so i i give it cuz i lecture the university in Plymouth which is where I live and um I have to give a talk every year to my second years and I try and get out of it every year because I we have these amazing guest lecturers come in to talk every year and I think oh they won't want to hear what I've done they won't want to hear about what I've done so every year I try and get out of it and my colleagues bully me back into doing it um and so I, I talk about this every year to my students and it's but what's amazing is when I was uh, so I, I did my GCSEs at, at school and then I went on and did uh, all my friends stayed on and did A-levels. But I left after GCSEs and did a national diploma in art and design. So it's just two years purely of art. Um, and I really didn't like school. Like there was nothing at school other than art that I enjoyed doing. And then all of a sudden I got to do art all day, every day. And I went from hating school to being in like, to going to be like going in I don't think I missed a day of my national diploma I think I was in every day and I went thinking um you 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 had to choose at some point on your national diploma you had to choose either to go and study a national diploma in art and design or a national diploma in graphics and you did a little bit of everything first and then when it came to do the choice I thought I should go do graphic design I thought that that's what I I just thought you know that's what I'll do. There's jobs in graphic design. I'll go do that. And there was a girl sat next to me in my class and she said, but you can draw. Why are you, why you going to go do graphics? You can draw really well. You should do a do the National Diploma in Art. So I was like, okay. So that was just it was such a weird, like, I can see it like a fork in the road now. And I just think, I don't know whether I'd be doing this now. I, I think I would. I don't think I could have ever been a graphic designer. I do not have a design sense in me uh but I so I did the art and design national diploma and I thought people then started talking about university and um me and my friends all thought we'd all go do fine art because that's what drawing was we were like we want to go draw so we'll go do fine art um and I looked around lots of universities that had a fine art course um and it wasn't there was a tutor that we had for bookbinding called Guy Begbie, who's an amazing bookbinder. I can't believe he taught us. And he said, uh, why, why are you looking at fine art? Why don't you go be an illustrator? Why don't you do illustration? And I, until that point, I had no idea that you could be an illustrator or that illustration was something you could study. And now it feels so weird that it wasn't even in my remit of something you could be. Um, but all of a sudden, all the course descriptions that I was looking at all of a sudden made sense I was like oh my gosh yes this is what I'm meant to be um this is what I'm meant to be doing so that was I mean it feels like luck but I worked really hard on that national diploma right I was like I said I was in it all the time every day <laughs> as much as I could be um but yeah that's that's when I first discovered what illustration that you could be an illustrator I think I knew what illustration was like I was always surrounded by books as a child, my mum would always take us to the library. Um, 
and we'd always take out loads of books, um, like loads of contemplate books. And, um, but yeah, up until that point, I didn't know that that that's a job you could do. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. When, when I was very young, the first books that caught my eye for their illustrations were Quentin Blake's illustrations in the Roald Dahl children's books. And I looked at those and they made me feel like, like you could draw and you don't have to be a certain level of artist to make something that's truly beautiful. And that really connects with you all the illustrate. And I, back then I used to think Roald Dahl drew them himself. I never noticed illustrated by Quentin Blake anywhere on the books themselves. And I used to think what, what an amazing thing to be able to write and then to say the story and then to illustrate a part of the story. That's, that's just perfect. It adds so much to my experience. I'm curious to know about the illustration course. You mentioned that you looked at what the course was like and it appealed to you. What is an illustration course like? What kind of things did you study and what kind of things did you do? So I now, I lecture on the course that I studied on. So it's really nice. I've seen it from the student's point of view and then I've kind of gone away, done an MA, come done other things and come back. But now I see it from like a lecturer's point of view. So it's really nice. I've got that like both sides of it but I think at the time I knew I knew the Plymouth course was right for me because um it wasn't something very specific I really enjoyed on my national diploma that we'd get to do lots of different things so we'd some days we'd be doing like service pattern and some days some weeks we'd be doing like a a weird film like a weird avant-garde film uh of me and my friends just running around in hats doing stupid stuff um (laughs) but like I I really enjoy what I liked about the Plymouth course is that it still had that um, element of like you could do anything and um, because it's on a university campus as well. So it's linked to lots of things and you get that amazing library full of like weird text anatomy textbooks next to like something about waves or oceanography. So you can kind of really explore. But yeah, so the, the course that I the course that I now teach on is it's a bit of everything really um we sort of we we have strands that you can specialize in so I run the children's market strand um but there's also comics and visual narratives uh, animation and the screen um printmaking and an interactive strand as well so it's kind of if there's something you're interested in we've got lecturers who can who are like it there to guide you and answer any questions, which I think is really nice. And we structure projects around those. Um, I've gone off tangent. Sorry, I can't remember the question. What was it? was it about the first illustration courses that I'd seen? Or the... well, I, I'm curious to know how the illustration program helps you to find the things that you're interested in, and the way that you equip yourself or the way that the course equips you towards acquiring those, you know, these different various skills. And you've been describing some of these different strands, which sounds like if you could indulge in a little bit of each of them, you'd pick up such a wide array of skills. So that's kind of what I'm curious about. Yeah, so we do. I've just finished teaching into the second year now, which um, they get an intensive three weeks on each strand so I run the children's market one and we do um three weeks where we just uh, I get them to do a retelling of Little Red Riding Hood with a political element in a picture book um 
so they have to do there's creative writing involved and also picture book um making and core picture book skills um and then they go on and they do animation in the screen and um they're just finishing that one now so they're doing animatics and learning about pacing and structure and then they'll go on and do comics um and sort of learn about paneling and um more creative writing and character design and but really in illustration all of those things kind of uh cross over so I keep I kept saying to them during my you know I'm teaching 30 40 students and not all of them want to do children's books and I think sometimes you can say to someone today we're going to learn about picture books and you can just see half of them be like no (laughs) I don't want to write a children's book like they want to write you know they want to work on character design for game or they game design or they want to do something and what I keep trying to drum into them and keep saying over and over again is you know their core skills everything has narrative attached to it no matter what you're doing whether it's a poster or a character or um you know an environment for a game it's all got narrative every every element should have something narrative attached otherwise it's just nothing um i think maybe that's a bit extreme it's not nothing but it's something that has narrative attached definitely has I think I think anyway has like a more uh the reader it's just more exciting for the viewer um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I'm thinking that uh because I've been really curious about children's illustrations as well and I think that that is such an underrated skill to be able to draw for children and sometimes people do dismiss it as a lesser thing because it's for younger people and it might be quote-unquote easier to impress them but it's I feel like it's not because that's it's the only few works in illustration that you'll have which is for a very distinct and a very specific demographic and it has to appeal to them in a very specific way as well So tell me a little bit about how you found your interest to be in children's illustrations and what are some of the ways that working for this demographic is so different from the rest of illustration work? Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's it's one of the things that I teach my students right at the beginning is that a picture book isn't for you. Like you you go into I think I especially approach a picture book and think this is for me like I'm making this for me and it especially at the beginning it can feel quite self-indulgent like you've picked the you choose everything that goes into that book like you're creating the characters and the world and the story and the environment and everything is from me but really a picture book has two audiences so it's got the child who's reading it and then the parent or guardian or or parental figure or whoever a friend family uh you've got the reader the adult and they're they've got to like it as much as the child so you've got to I think someone I can't remember who it is it might it might be Martin Salisbury who describes it as like a a theater like a theater show for one like you like your you as the reader are reenacting this theater show for one child um so it's it's kind of trying to remember that although everything has come from you, you've got to remember that those two parties also need to love what you're doing. So I guess it's it's kind of thinking about how, how can a child understand what I want to say? Like I might want to say a really big, grand, uh, 
um, big, I might want to top cop, uh, sorry, I want, might want to tackle a really big theme in a book, mm-hmm. like a really mm-hmm. big uh, holistic spiritual theme in a picture book. But how do you say that to a child? Like, how do you simplify that to something that a child has within their world? Because if you say to a child, like, I'm just trying to think of something a child wouldn't know about. But like, if you say to them, like, here's a, if you showed like a glass of champagne or something, a child isn't going to relate to that as much as like you or I would, or like an adult would. So it's understanding, okay, well, let's take away that wine glass and replace it with a rabbit or whatever. But <laughs> I'm I'm simplifying it a lot here. Right? And again, I've, I've never done that. I've never tried to sneak a alcoholic beverage into a picture book. But um, it's, yeah, finding those things that children relate to and then trying to understand, well, how will that child to uh, read that themselves? Because they're looking at the pictures. Right, right. I'm I'm thinking about what you just mentioned about thinking of the Little Red Riding Hood story with political themes. And that's like an interesting conflict about what it might mean to you or what you can uh, speculate as an adult about that story and then retaining what's relevant in for for the purpose of its of its reading audience. So how do you how do you tread this? Because it feels like there's this fine line between addressing a demographic and talking down to them in in the pursuit of simplifying things yeah so i i use little red riding hood because um everyone knows it and it's almost like those characters are so uh recognizable that you can almost put them as symbols like they don't you you can distill it down to something really really basic even like a red triangle and a black triangle you know what those characters are so and I like using the story because I tend to give them the beginning and then they do the end. And again, even those who don't enjoy writing can still come up with that ending because they can stick to something quite specific and similar to the original story if they want to. Um, but, oh no, I've forgotten what you, have forgotten the question. <laughs> let's, let's, let's go to it from another angle. Mm. Um, so you're in university and you're studying all these different things. You're doing all these different kinds of projects. How, how do you now in university start to find yourself attracted to different career paths or different opportunities or different things you can do? How does, how does children's illustration come out on top of that? And what are some of the things you consider and things that, that interest you at this time? As a student or as a... Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a student, like while in university. What, me personally or as a student? Yes. Yeah. So um, I didn't want to be a children's book illustrator <laughs> all the way through university. It wasn't something I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to make... I love narrative. I Everything I do has narrative attached to it and it still does. Um, and I loved... Uh, I loved writing stories, but for me, they never felt like they were for children. So I used to write, um, I used to think what I was doing was writing comics, um, like weird, bizarre comics. Um, And we got to do a, um, we got taken to the Eden Project, which are these like big biodomes in Cornwall. Um, There was like a handful of us taken down there to do a 24-hour comic. So we got to stay overnight in Cornwall in the Eden Project and do a, page every hour and make a 24-hour comic 
And I wrote this really weird story about this. We had to base it on something that was there and there were these banana plants. And I was like, I'm going to do a story about bananas. So I did a story about uh, there were these boys that were cycling to the market every day to take the bananas to the market. And um, and they were they were all going missing. Like there were all these missing posters everywhere. And it turned out that the monkeys were kidnapping the banana sellers to take all their bananas and they were turning them into more monkeys so the there were all these monk there were more monkeys to steal more bananas and I finished it and I pinned up my final like 24 hour page like pinned it up on the wall and stepped back and was like yeah I've made this cool comic that's for like cool it's really cool it's about banana sellers and someone walked past and went oh I really like the children's book you've done it's really cute and mm-hmm. I just thought and at that point I was just like okay I give up like I'd rebelled for so long uh I was just like okay maybe maybe children's books is for me but when I I mean I graduated with a whole a real mix my portfolio was just an absolute mess I had like weird comics and then I'd illustrated a weird story my mum had sent me an article in the newspaper which was um that a sex dungeon had been found near where I was living in Plymouth and uh I just thought it was really funny so I illustrated it but it was all really weird and like fun like funny um so my portfolio was a mix of like funny (laughs) sex dungeon weird comics and then I just started doing like picture book stuff as well so I graduated with this bizarre strange mix and I just thought I need some more time on this. So that's when I went into the MA in children's book illustration in Cambridge. Um, and again, turned up with this bizarre portfolio and just, I'm surprised they let me in, but they did. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so fascinating. And while you were telling me the story about the banana sellers, I was just thinking about what makes a children's book work. And, you know, sometimes as adults, we get so much inside our own heads and we're thinking about these deeper themes and these uh, bigger ideas and grander narratives that we can weave that we almost let go of the the value of the simpler story and writing for children or even you know just making a narrative for children it it becomes such a difficult task because now you really have to work at that layer and that's what it sounded like to me that you could have gotten if you were thinking about exclusively saying a story for adults you could have gotten super meta and super philosophical but you had to retain that little bit of fun and whimsy and you had to have a little bit of action happening and that's what makes it work for children and that's maybe you did it un- as you say you did it unintentionally but that's how it got recognized by someone passing by and it got uh immediately tagged as a great children's story which you didn't intend and i'm just thinking about how that kind of how it's such a challenge to actually do that to to say something that a child might care about it was something my when i was studying on the ma someone i can't i can't remember who it was one of the tutors said to me like you're really good at just dumping people in a story. Like you create a world and then you're like, yeah, of course the banana sellers are being sold, like not sold, the banana sellers being kidnapped to, and turned into monkeys or like, yeah, of course this is happening. And of course, like there's no, I don't, it's almost like I don't question it. I'm just like, yeah, of course that's going to be the story. Now I've just got to get the reader. Again, it's going back to that idea of like readers. Now I've just got to get that reader to come along with me. Like I'm almost like, come on, come on. This is a, this is a good idea. 
um but that was yeah so that was kind of how I it's it's odd now though so I'm talking about picture books like that this is how I approach narrative now but it's the new book I've just finished and the new one I'm working on is so different to and I mean there's no monkeys there's no people being kidnapped and turned into monkeys there's no uh children turning into animals there's no uh there's no bears going missing like the the one I've just finished is really different but I think that's because I've had this change in work over the last few years and I've had a change in direction and just a mentality change that and I can see that now coming through in the writing I've done now um so yeah like it's it's interesting how your your outside life influences what's going on inside as well like with the with the work you're making um yeah 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 so true and while you were saying that I was just thinking about how again coming back to children's illustrations it's uh, we were talking about how you have to simplify things to say it to children and avoid certain themes but in a in another sense the good children's stories are the ones that also treat them like adults and i'm thinking of roald dahl stories which are not like typical children's stories and i loved them as a child because children had agency in those stories they were doing things and they were not treated like they were not treated like kids they were like things happened to them things happened around them it wasn't it wasn't necessarily just an upbeat buoyant sweet nice world that they were living in and sort like i love the idea of banana sellers being kidnapped <laughs> and turned into monkeys because again things are happening to them and i i like that uh, uh so uh, what's what's the ma about what kind of what kind of things so it's there's there's a lot of so my questions in this regard are coming from this point of view that a lot of people can be artists a lot of people can draw and a large part of that skill is self motivated self learned you don't necessarily need just a formal education to become an illustrator or an artist but there's something about this kind of education that also equips you with not necessarily artistic but non-artistic skills or ideas or knowledge that kind of helps you enter a market or to to know how to position yourself so what 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 are those things that you sort of understand through a university education yeah so um when i graduated i from my ba so i did my ba um and we'd they get you to do a project a professional practice module where we have to email out artists that we really love and um i as i was researching the ones that i really liked a lot of them had gone on to do an ma or had studied on the ma that i then went on to study on so for me it was like getting the understanding understanding that's like the process that those artists have been on was really important and i don't I think now I probably would sit back and be like, okay, that's an artist or illustrator I really like. I'm going to go find out how they got there and go research into them. But I think as a, you know, a 20 year old, I don't think I would have possibly sat down and done that myself. Um, and we also learned like all the, you know, we had lectures on tax and accounting and uh, promoting yourself. Um, and then, um but also like i suppose that 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 idea of um 
meeting other people who are doing that same thing as you, like that community of, of um, creatives, uh, especially on the BA. We were in, you know, we were in the studios all the time, like so just surrounding yourself with like people you don't know and that have come from all different backgrounds, all different places around the world sometimes. And you just learn so much, like someone will go, oh, have you watched this film? And you go, no, I've never seen that before. And then you, or someone will say, oh, do you like this band? Or you suddenly, everything, your world that has felt really small, all of a sudden just starts expanding and expanding quite quickly and rapidly, especially in that setting, because you're spending 24 hours a day with these people who also have all these small little bubbles that they've all lived in. And then your bubbles start smushing together and you end up with this really big bubble and it's really nice because there's there's still people on my BA that I still keep in contact with now and you know someone will go oh um or uh someone will say oh do you know about this or like that and again it's they've gone off and created their own bubble again because they've all moved to different parts of the country or they're doing design jobs or uh editorial jobs or and then you can go oh have you got the art director's contact for this person or do you know how much I should be charging for this and I think it's it's those connections I mean you can I've definitely met them since graduating from a university like I've got I've got loads I've met so many people through Instagram and through social media and but it's uh I think university is that first time when you get that and that is a skill like that's just something that's amazing like yeah that, that's non-create like a non-creative thing that you get to have yeah yeah absolutely and like I love the bubble analogy this is how I used to think about my university experience as well and I love how being in a creative uh, field of study it lets people to express these different bubbles that they're coming from and you get to hear and even through their work, maybe you get to see more about the reality that they are coming from, and you, you, and like you mentioned, you imbibe all of those different things. So, uh, once once you graduated out of university, I see that you were doing a lot of different kinds of things. There was some amount of ceramics also as part of this thing. So, what what were some of these things that you were doing, and uh, what was what was life like right out of university? How did you get started with being an illustrator? Yes, I had a, um, I finished my BA and I had a year out and I just, I didn't really draw. So I drawn intensively for like five years because I was like full in on my national diploma. And then I gave that same level to my BA. Like I was just in all the time, just working and drawing and making stuff. And I loved it. And then I think I graduated and I was like, oh my gosh, like, (laughs) and I, I almost, um, they said to us when we were graduating, like, you've got to go find work. Don't expect work to come to you. And I still had that cocky attitude that I was going to, that I was like, no, this is going to happen for me. People are going to contact me. Like, (laughs) and I think I graduated and I just thought, I don't need to keep drawing. Like I've made it like, and I don't know where that came from, but I just, I, and thinking about it now, I like, even admitting it and it coming out my mouth I'm cringe like the cringe is I'm just like oh god I wish I could take that back because I don't think I've ever said that to anyone before but like I really thought that I've I mean I signed on with an agent straight away after graduating and I thought you know this is going to be this is going to be it like I've got an agent now um they're going to find me the work 
and then nothing happened at all like nothing and I didn't have any illustration jobs for a whole year and I decided to um uh I was working full-time but not in a creative job and that's when I did the children's book MA so that was a year and a half um and again I threw myself in like worked really hard consistently all the way through I signed two book deals uh with Macmillan I did two book deal with Macmillan um and I got another agent um and then I graduated and I think again I felt that like well I've got a book deal now like I've done it I've done what I wanted to do like I've got this book deal and I've got a new agent now the jobs are going to start flooding in like Mm -hmm. I've I've done the I've done more hard work like this is it (laughs) and they just didn't and like I had I'd moved back home and I started doing a ceramics course part-time because I just thought well I don't know what else I was doing picture books but those who who are in picture book industry know it's slow like you can send off work and then you don't hear anything for weeks and then all of a sudden you have a little burst of creativity like work to do and then you don't hear anything and especially if you're working on one book it can be quite a slow process to, to go through so I was just trying to keep myself busy and I was doing like ceramics and then I was sort of making badges as well and selling them on Etsy for like so little money. But at the time it felt like a big thing, like, wow, someone wants to buy this. Like, and I think it gave me that same feeling of being back at uni almost like it felt like a project, like something I could actually work on that no one else was inputting into. It was just for me and like, uh then people were buying them and I was like oh this is cool I could do this and um I moved back to Plymouth um and then got a job lecturing at Plymouth Uni um shortly after so that was for two days a week so I do that two days a week teaching on the children's running the children's book strand mm-hmm. and then I was making ceramics and trying to work on more picture books you know I finished the other two they they were published and I was trying to work on other picture books and I just hated everything I was like I slowly just ground it down until I just hated everything I was doing like absolutely nothing felt like me anymore it felt like I'd God, this is so sad. Like, I didn't realise how depressing this part of my story was until I started talking about it. But it really was like, uh, I think when you start, I think I'm really glad I didn't sign a book deal straight after graduating from my BA on illustration because I really wouldn't have been ready for the kind of feedback you get on your work from lots of different people. Getting it on from my MA, after I'd done my MA, I felt a bit more prepared, but I still don't think I was ready for, because you don't just get like one person saying, why don't you try making that blue? You've then got like an editor and a designer and a rights team and co-edition people. And like, they were all lovely, but all of a sudden you get all this feedback on your work and you're being molded into something slowly. So you don't Mm -hmm. quite realise into something that you don't actually want to be making and again nothing against the publishing team that I was working with they were amazing but like I don't think I was ready to say no this isn't what I want to be doing and I just kind of had gone along with it for so long even in even in my like ceramic work people 
it's that Instagram thing, you know, you get a like on something and then you think, oh, this is good. Like, so I'll keep doing it. And I'd, right. been, I'd just got into that with everything in my life. Like everything had, was for someone else all of a sudden and not for me. And so I just, I got to the point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I had things going on outside my creative life that uh, like big circumstances that changed, but um, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And I just, I gave up with everything. So I, I think within like three months, I'd like sold my kiln, got rid of my potter's wheel, left my agent, closed my Etsy shop, uh, stopped writing picture books. I stopped doing everything like within three, three months just nothing i i've i resonate with so much of what you're saying and a couple of thoughts that occur to me are firstly it's almost an ill consequence of being in university that you're in a bubble but there are and as a result there are very simple rules for this bubble there's an idea of what work you have there are distinct deliverables and there is a very distinct and objective evaluation of those things as well. So you know the work you have to do, you know the time you have to do it in, and you know the rewards, quote-unquote rewards you get for it. And then the outside world is a little bit different from that because you never know what exactly is enough work. You never know what is doing a good job and what is you being lazy or you being not 100% into it. There is nobody to tell you this in objective, simple to measure ways. And I'm also thinking how there is this conflict as a creative person. And I feel like it must apply to every creative field where the idea of being a creative means that you have to completely trust your motivations and your inspirations and you have to back them. But then when you're working with others, you also have to understand or you have to assume a certain position in a certain hierarchy. And that means listening to certain people and speaking to certain people, being assertive around certain people and then being receptive around others and doing this in turns. And that can be such a strange thing to have to balance and to have to to slot yourself into it. it I, I can't imagine a smooth way to learn about it. It has to be so much friction and so much, so much, uh, all these self doubts and unhappiness, all of that is, seems like a natural thing that is bound to happen to everybody in a sense, like to some degree. And maybe some people are luckier than others that it doesn't happen so much to them, but it feels like, it feels like a curse that is always going to, <laughs> always going to fall upon you if you take upon this glorious job of being a creative person yeah I think as well like as a creative person I know personally I'm just never happy with my work ever and I don't think I ever have been like I just feel like I like a bumper car like I'm constantly <laughs> like bumping into like just bumping along and being like oh I want this to be better now and I want this to be better now and I I said to one of my students the other day, they were like, I can't, like, the work I'm making, I'm not happy with it. And I was like, you won't be happy with it for the next 10 years. I was like, you've got 10 years of this. I was like, you've got to keep going. You just have to keep going, though. Like, right. you can't, the worst, the worst thing is to stop. Like, which I, I did do that. I did stop. But I had, like, 
I had nothing left in the tank to give. So I did stop. Like, and I did say like, no more. Like I just, at that time I couldn't even imagine picking up a pen again or pencil again. Like, but I think if you can, I don't know what I'm, what I'm trying to say with this. Cause I'm, I'm saying don't stop, but I'm also like, keep going. Even when you feel really disheartened with your work, like you've got to keep going. Cause you've got to get over that next, like, We'll get past that next bumper car. But... Well, I feel like I feel like sometimes we think of these kind of careers as as a race of some kind, in the sense that we want to end triumphantly. We want to arrive at the finish. There is going to be a finish line, and we will arrive at it with you know that smile and every your hair in place, and you're <laughs> you're just you're just you're just there, and it's photogenic that moment, and we don't want to like it's like the uh, it's not that it's like it's like a race it's like running through mountains in the dark or a forest and you're going to fall and you're going to bruise and mm-hmm. those things are going to happen but the idea of not stopping so i'm thinking about what it means because i completely agree with you it's the 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 almost the worst thing that can happen is that you're going to fall but the worst thing is that you will fall and then you will just stop over there and you won't keep going so it's it's tough to it's tough to understand that it's going to happen and you can't like the nature of it is that you can't really prepare yourself for it that's yeah. what it means to suddenly fall you can't have prepared for it oh yeah and i i also want to come back to what you said about instagram because it's sort of done this to an entire generation of artists <laughs> that we are chasing these these stupid numbers of likes and relegating our ideas to this to this machine that's going to tell us if it's good enough mm-hmm. and not yeah and no matter how independent you are it it just it just worms its way into your mind so you end up seeding individualism to what works and what is uh what is appealing because there's this idea that instagram represents the world yeah and there are so many ways as we're discovering now and the more we learn about facebook and how the way it works we're uh, like people are starting to understand see through this this facade but for the longest time especially like five or six years ago there was this implicit acceptance that instagram represented your audience and if you're not clicking on Instagram, how could you succeed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like there's two sides. I can see the two. There's two sides that it's affected me with Instagram. Like, and uh, well, three sides really. There's like before, during, and after. So before, when I was doing picture book work and ceramic work and cat work, cat things, um, those likes drove me to be like, well, this is doing well, so I'll make this work. And it was like good but bad because it sold my work Instagram helped me sell my work in that sense but also it pushed me it like gave me a little boost to go do something that actually I really didn't want to do I think I wanted to do it at the time but I didn't really love it I wasn't 100% in like I was like I can do this because it's doing well um and then there's the time when I stopped so when I stopped and then restarted and started with a location drawing project which grew and grew and grew. Um, that was amazing to have that. Like, I was just really brutally honest on there and like just was saying to people, like, I'm having a really, really bad time. 
but here's the work I'm making. And people were so supportive. And I think if I hadn't had that community there, I wouldn't have continued that work at all. Like I needed I needed those people who stuck with me when I said, I'm not doing ceramics anymore, but I'm doing this. Come along. It's going to be good. And I suppose that's kind of like what I was saying earlier when I said I create these worlds and then I tell people to come along with me. Like, and I suppose it's the same thing. I said, I said to them, like, I'm not doing, I've sold all my stuff, my ceramic stuff. There's no more ceramics ever, but come along for this journey. It's going to be pretty good. Like, please come along. But then there's Instagram now where I find it really hard because I've got a bigger audience and my audience has grown every year since I decided to stop making ceramics and started to do this location project. And now it's a, it's a stage where like, I'm scared to post what I'm doing because (laughs) I like it, but if it gets, if it doesn't do well, then it makes me feel bad. So then I don't post what I like anymore. And I'm letting I need I it's time for a shake up on that. It's definitely time for me to do something because it's it shouldn't control my work. It should right. it should stay that creative like that supportive space that it that it was, but it's it's not at the moment for me. Yeah. But. It's you're you're so right. There's this dichotomy to it, and we're all aware of how absurd the situation is that you have a following because you were doing what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But now that you have a following, you're afraid to do what you want to do. Yeah. It's almost like a a peril of having a large following is that now you're thinking about what pleases them, but what pleases them is you doing what you want. That's, that's why they signed up. That's why they hit that follow button. Yeah. But it's always there that fear of sharing something that is not up to standard or doesn't suit the the brand image almost that you feel that you are compelled to stick to yes it's it's very difficult and I feel like maybe maybe that's one of the reasons why so many people are trying to spend more time out of the Instagram platform and not necessarily engage with their audience exclusively through Instagram because it's this very strange filter I've found in my experience that the same that I'm almost I'm all I I shy away from interacting with people on Instagram, but that same person approaching me on another medium, our conversations are different. The whole the whole basis of our interaction is made different. And there's just something about Instagram that makes it this very strange, superficial, performative interaction. I'm I'm not even thinking of the person I'm speaking to. I'm thinking about the people who might see the interaction that I'm having with someone else. And it's the same on Facebook for me. It's we're thinking about the people who will see what we're saying to someone else. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I am. Yeah. I I definitely feel like that. And I used to be really, I used to be really just open on Instagram and really chatty. And I would just talk about like, I'd go on stories and I'd have a chat or I'd like post a really, I'd post really long captions and tell people like how I was feeling and what I was doing and like the work, how I was feeling when I was making the work. And now I'm just, I I took a step back from that last year. Um, and I, I, now I'm at a stage where I'm like, well, do I go 
back to that but I've had a whole year where people have found my work and started following me that don't know that version of me at right. all right so I might come back and be like hi everyone it's me and they'll be like who are you right um but yeah I grew I grew my following because I was posting my location sketchbooks and my drawing on location work um that's what my following grew around but then I when I started painting and paint and putting canvas pieces up that also grew an audience so now I have two audiences they do cross over but on one side I feel torn that I should I should be hate that word but I should be like an artist who is posting these like canvas pieces in a trendy warehouse on a beautiful wall or something right (laughs) but there's also the other half of me that's pulling me the other way that's like no go post a picture of your sketchbook looking all messy that's like not perfect and just like covered in like bits of grass and sand or whatever like so yeah I that's something I have to figure out I think but I think you're you're right about that open conversation as well that like you could say something to someone in captions or and someone else can read that and it yeah but putting it in a message feels weird I don't know like it's it's, exactly these are these are the same questions and the same hesitations that I go through as well and we'll we'll come to we'll come to how you are and I'm, I, I'd like to share my ideas also of how I've been doing this on Discord. And I'd love to hear how you're doing this on Discord and then on Patreon. So we'll, we'll come to that. But I want to go back to 2018 for a bit mm-hmm. uh, when you shut your Etsy shop and you were dealing with what you described as burnout. And I'm a little curious to know because this is one of the things we don't really speak about very much. So I want to know, and you mentioned this very specifically also, that often you don't realize that you're suffering from it. Yeah. Or you don't, maybe in a sense, we don't give ourselves the permission to call it that because it says so much. It's such a loaded word. Yeah. But but tell me a little bit about it. How did you understand it? How did you realize it? And what was it like in those first few weeks after that? So in, in 2018, I had a mental breakdown so I uh I went from not knowing at all that I had anxiety and depression to all of a sudden almost getting dumped like 10 years worth of it at once and all that feeling of being like and someone going I think you're I think you've got anxiety and then again it's again going back to that thing where I didn't know what illustration was and then it ticked all the boxes someone going I think you've got anxiety and depression and then being like oh yeah that's what I've just had for like 10 years and didn't even realize it but I uh I had a relationship breakdown which triggered all of it like and all of a sudden just getting dumped like everything on top of you and being like here you go here's 10 years worth of stuff to deal with I'm laughing about it now because it's uh it's the only way I can talk about it really but I know that those there's people out there who are listening to this that are probably going through something similar and like it is such a horrible place to be and it is such a dark place to be. Um, but I, and I, it just, it, uh, the only way I can describe it. And I, I did a talk um, called I'm fine, which was part of like a mental health talk last year, this year, earlier this year, I've lost all track of dates <laughs> uh, where I described, it felt like I was completely empty. So people would say to me, let's go do something. Let's go out for dinner. 
like what's your favorite place to go eat and I just couldn't tell them like I just didn't know and I didn't know what my favorite music was anymore I didn't know what I just felt like all of a sudden just there was nothing in there and it was the same with drawing as well people were like you my you know my mum and dad were like you love drawing like why don't you do go do some drawing and I was like I don't know what to draw like there's nothing I want to draw I I don't know what materials to use I don't know what uh sketchbook to pick up like I just didn't I felt like I'd lost all of my skills um and it felt really like drawing had always been like a comfort so I'd go to it when I was feeling sad and then all of a sudden I didn't want that either and it was like well what am I what should I do um and it came back it came back really gradually but it did, it did come back. I knew it would. I knew it wouldn't ever completely leave. I knew I just had to give it a bit of time. Like my life was a bit of a mess. So I kind of didn't blame it for leaving because I, I, I wouldn't have wanted to stick around if I had had the choice. But like my creativity kind of just it slowly crept back and was like, I think we should come on me and you. We can do this. <laughs> like we've got this. Um, so I started I have a book. I don't know if I don't know if I've got it in here actually, but I've got a book. It's Birds of the World, um, which was my mum's book. Um, and I open it's one that I used to go back to, even as a student, I had it as a student, and I would go back to it and just draw from it. And we I sat down and I drew owls, and it was like the first time I picked up a pencil for three months, and I was just like, okay, we can do this. And then but it wasn't for another like two or three months that I kind of thought well if I'm gonna do this I need to come back and do a something I want to be doing I want to make work I like and it has to it has to be a project because I need a project I needed to be motivated almost like I was back at uni I had to set myself a project um so I decided uh I give myself six weeks the MA course that I did our projects were six weeks long and the last time I remembered being really, truly happy with the work I was making was the location drawing project that we did on the MA. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, you can have six weeks, go sit on location, go make art, go see what happened. Like, no, there was no, I didn't have anything. I had nothing to lose. And uh, so there wasn't like, it wasn't, there wasn't a big goal at the end. It was just go draw, like, it was just amazing. I'm, I'm really proud of myself for making that choice. And like, cause it was such a risk. I love a risk, but that was like a really big risk. Um, but yeah, that was kind of that first, it did, it, it was a burnout, but it was like a, it was all mixed up with all sorts of things. Um, and then I've burnt out again since but like not to that extreme that was like a full like clean slate let's start again um mm-hmm. yeah tell me a little bit about how location drawing came into this you said that it's because of a six-week project you had done in university and it you felt like repeating something of that nature so what kind of what kind of materials did you pick up where would you go what kind of things did you start to draw and I want to kind of go on this process of how this love for was rekindled for you. So, um, yeah, the MA in children's book illustration I did, the first project they get you to do isn't a children's book or a narrative. They just 
set they get you to set your own theme and then you get to go draw on location for six weeks and I ended up drawing in towards the end of that project I ended up drawing in um uh the giraffe house in London Zoo um mm-hmm. and those those were the drawings when I was like when was the last time you were truly happy like I was asking myself that those were the drawings I kept thinking of like sat in a smelly old giraffe <laughs> sat in a smelly old giraffe house in London Zoo drawing <laughs> giraffes <laughs> like that was honestly it, it was just and those were the drawings that when I went and did talks about my work or those are the drawings that I was most proud of that when they came up in the slideshow I'd stop and be like oh these drawings or any of the drawings really I did loads of museums and around Cambridge and those are the drawings that I really wanted to share like so I was like well let's go do that again um but I was living in Devon at the time I'd moved to Plymouth I was living in Plymouth at the time and when I'd lived here before on my BA I just hadn't explored Devon and Cornwall at all I'd stayed basically in the same couple of mile radius of Plymouth for the whole three years Um, and I'd always regretted it when I moved back home to Worcestershire which is really landlocked and Cambridge which is really landlocked I just missed the sea and would just think like what a shame that I didn't explore more when I lived when it was on my doorstep Mm -hmm. so I gave myself this six weeks and I was like you can go draw on location and you can go and explore these places that you missed out exploring three years ago or whenever it was. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I, I had like a nerdy Google maps in my, uh, set and I would go around and I would take the little, uh, Google maps person and I would drop them in places and I would pin it if I thought I wanted to go draw there. Um, and I would take myself on really long walks. So I wasn't sleeping very well at the time. So a way it kind of like everything helped. Like I would go and I would walk for hours and I would take a rucksack and then I would just sit and draw for like as quickly as possible because I was so self-conscious that I was sat drawing and I didn't want anyone to talk to me. And then I would put everything back in my bag and I would do the walk <laughs> home again. But oh, that was like, it was such a what a lovely experience to have have had um but yeah it it kind of grew from from there though like it's my radius of places to go expanded um yeah 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 and I I absolutely feel what you're saying about quickly drawing and then putting it back (laughs) into your bag because uh my my experience how I got into location drawing was that I was in Chicago at the time and I just quit my academic career and I decided that I'm going to be a writer. And artist was not in the list of things that I was going to be. I was going to be a writer and I was already a bit of a cartoonist. So I wanted to make more of that as well. So I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to write and draw better long form comics. And the trouble was that the stories that I would write, and I'd been writing since I was very young, but the stories and the world I wanted to write about was a world that, since becoming an adult, I had moved further and further away from. So I left my hometown when I went to study, uh, do my bachelor's in engineering. Then I left my country when I left when I studied to do a master's in engineering. And now I had left that other country, which was I was I was in the Netherlands for about five years. And I left that and I'd come to Chicago where my girlfriend was and then we would later get married. 
and I was in this alien world and I was trying to write stories about uh, in the way that I used to before because I was trying to find that writer that I was that the engineering education had stifled for so long and I wanted to reclaim all of those creative goals that I had not abandoned but I had sort of uh, misplaced somewhere so I was trying to find them again and I found it so difficult because I'm in this new place I can't keep talking about this old place that it's been a decade since I left and I only have old ideas off so what do I do and I started to walk around and I needed to be a better artist because I didn't really know how to draw co comics very well I used to draw stick figures and I knew that I needed to learn how to draw if I'm going to do this full time I need to learn and I had a sketchbook and I decided it would be a pen so I wouldn't erase. So I couldn't erase. I would just have to draw more instead of changing it or trying to or stopping in the middle because you can stop in the middle. Uh, and I just walked around Chicago the same way as you describe. I'd just walk and walk and walk and I would sit in a strange place that nobody knew me and thinking that nobody can see me. So this is safe. And I'll draw quickly before they know that I'm here. I'll be done and I'll be out. And nobody will ask me, hey, what are you doing? And nobody will ask me, even in out of earnestness, can I look at your sketchbook? Because it's such a silly, stupid thing that I'm doing that I just need to do. But I don't need anybody to know because it's so stupid. I'm drawing in a sketchbook. Hey, I'm in my 20s. I don't know how to draw. And I think I want to do it. And this is how it has occurred to me to do it. Don't laugh. And I would be sneaky about it. And that's how my idea was of my art that I'm just going to maybe I'll learn and then I'll come, uh, I'll arrive at as this artist who knows how to draw on Instagram, because that's what Instagram needs from me. It needs me to be something. And I didn't quite, for the longest time, I think only it's only been a year for me that I've allowed myself to share my journey. And that means sharing vulnerabilities and things you're not so confident about on Instagram or even online. And I always thought that I needed to have a very clearly defined image on the internet for it to work. And that image cannot be tampered with. It cannot be an image of a person under construction. It needs to be a fully formed thing. This is what you are. And that's when people follow you. So even what you said about can I say this or can I not say this on Instagram is a thing that I'm constantly grappling with because of this notion of what you need to be. So um, I, I did this thing at that time that I changed my life's idea of the things I would be doing and sort of accidentally became an artist because I just fell in love with location drawing and I didn't expect it. Partly it was that Chicago is simply one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen, but I just fell in love with this idea of finding things that I'll just walk and I won't know what I'll find but I'll just see it and it'll be there and then I'll draw it and then it just happens every time like it just it just works somehow and I'll just keep chasing this good feeling so I want to know a little bit about this uh I want to go back a bit about this decision to you know even when we are very low this decision to stop doing something that you were doing before and to allow yourself to change that image of yourself, that's such a difficult, painful decision, mm -hmm. especially once you've climbed some degree, some steps up a ladder to step away from that ladder. So how, what was that like? Was there, was, uh, what was that conflict of 
giving up your agent and then thinking about not doing those things and then finding new things that you would rather do yeah it's um it's funny because now if you asked me to do it now I couldn't I would find it so hard to give something up and at the moment I'm at a stage in my career where like I have too many things going on and one thing needs I need to cut back on something because I can't do everything but at the time I didn't have that attachment to like I have now so I was lecturing two days a week and that had to stay because that was bringing in just enough money to live on like just enough like with all the bills and rent and everything it would just cover so that was everything was paid just like I lived in my overdraft and on a credit card for too long then it's uh at the time it was embarrassing to admit it but like um now I feel like I was so ashamed because no one was talking about it, but I had no money. Like, and I didn't, the ceramic stuff I was doing was bringing in money, but not enough for it to like be a big decision to drop it. And I know money's not everything, but like it wasn't bringing me joy or money. So I was like, well, that can go. I just had a Christmas where everything had smashed in the kiln. I had a, I opened the kiln up and everything had broken. And I was like, this isn't for me anymore. I can't, it's like you, you put everything into something and then close the lid and then you just have to whip, like hope that nothing breaks and then you open it and everything has and you just think, oh, like, oh God, I've got to start again. <laughs> I've got to start again. I, I think that's a, such an interesting part because, you know, if you were really, really into it, into the ceramics, you would want to pick yourself up at that point again. Yeah. And I feel like I had that kind of experience with my academic education. So I was doing a PhD program in uh, in mechanical engineering and uh, the intersection of mechanical engineering and neuroscience. And it was really, really interesting stuff. But I knew that it needed 150% of me. And I realized in the obstacles that are inevitable in such a program that I didn't have the motivation to give it that 150%. And that's sort of what I'm kind of comparing this obstacle or this uh, this bad incident happening with your kin, for example, yeah. where someone who was giving it 150% or knew that they had that, they would kind of power through it. Yeah. And then you realize that this is not for you. And that realization sometimes only comes when you have an unforeseen adverse event. Yeah. So I used to describe... I used to describe everything I used to do as a failure. So I used to say that I'd failed at picture books. I'd failed at ceramics. I'd failed at running a successful Etsy shop. I'd failed, you know, being an illustrator. I'd failed being a business owner. I used to say I'd fail. Like all of those were failures. And uh, that is hard to carry that around with you. That's really heavy to be like, because it stops you from doing that next thing as well. You think like, well, I failed at these five things. So this next thing I'm going to do is also going to be a failure. And then I have a creative consultant and she, the first time I met her, I told her this, I said, I failed at everything I've ever done. Why would I, why is this next step in my career going to be any different? Like at that stage I had been drawing for a year um, and I was just about people were asking for prints of my work and like for me to sell original work. And I was just like, I'm going to fail again. And she sat me down and said, 
uh, you, the, none of these are failures. You're just an artist. And every one of these things that you're, you've done and that you've considered a failure is just you exploring being an artist. And like that, she doesn't know how much that changed my whole life because like, I like I don't even think of those things anymore. Like when you said, oh, it must have been such a hard thing to to just cut everything. I was like, well, I didn't I, I didn't really have a choice. Like we said, like it just didn't bring me joy or anything anymore. But also like they do just feel like explorations. And her saying that I think has helped me so much over the last two years, three years of being like, well, I'm going to try this. And if it doesn't work, that's OK. I'm going to try something else. And like like what a. What an amazing uh, way to think about art. It's, yeah. Yeah. And so much of this sort of thing is just about perspective. Because again, we have a sense of what it means to be an artist. Mm -hmm. And usually that means success and bigger success and bigger success. And so the reason I asked you, uh, right at the start, I asked you about this sense of your profession when you were entering university is that so many people feel like we need to have it before we do it. And everybody who's successful knew or envisioned their success in exactly that way when they were very young. And so we look at the trajectory of somebody who's done well, and we imagine that this was predetermined. So uh, now I'm thinking about your location drawing. And you said that you set yourself this six week uh, project which you and I read this on your blog that this you extended this and it became a six month deadline and you thought that after this deadline I'll start to do what you called quote-unquote proper work <laughs> and then you reach this point which is beautiful because uh, it's not only it's something I talk about on my podcast because it's something I think about so often is this notion of permission that we give as well as withhold from ourselves and you said that I realized that I was the one giving myself these deadlines and no one else so you had to trust your creative instinct yeah and to carry on doing the things you want so tell me a little bit about this this moment of realization and what did you think you needed to do and what did you then give yourself permission to keep doing so I think uh after that first six weeks I just hadn't even scratched the surface really it's almost like going from like like a car that's completely stationary to going 100 miles an hour I'd um I'd not like I'd not even got up to five miles an hour because I'd been so stationary for so long I think you asked what earlier about what materials I was taking out with me and I was just taking like I had it I did a patron video about it actually and did like a time machine pencil case because I had found that pencil case that I'd taken I used to take out with me and I hadn't opened it for like ages because I just kept growing my arts my art collection but I used to just take out like a 6b pencil and a 5b pencil and a 3b pencil and just do these like there was I mean they're just simple line drawings of what I could see in front of me they weren't and I was just trying things like they weren't good drawing. I mean, they were they weren't good drawings. Like, I can say that about my own work, but like they they got they I, they needed to happen, but they weren't good. So after six weeks, I was like, well, I've not really done anything. I've just <laughs> I've just kind of <laughs> I don't even think I filled a sketchbook. I think I just got one 
Royal Talon sketchbook, uh, like an A4 one, an art creation one. And I'd done like, I'd filled like maybe over half of it. And I'd just done these drawings. And I was like, right, this can't just be six weeks. Like this needs to be like six months. And like, I'm just going to give myself six months. It has to happen. And then that six months coincided with Christmas. So that was really nice because it had been a year since I'd uh, had a mental breakdown and had a, a really tough time. And it was so reflective to be like, oh my gosh, look at what I've just done. Like, what it I really wasn't I wasn't out of the thick of it like mental health wise but like I was like oh my god look like I could see what I'd done because I had a sketchbook Mm -hmm. I had two sketchbooks with drawings in and I was like it was like evidence like I've done this and I like it and like people online like it and I feel like yeah this is cool like I'm I'm just gonna keep going and I think yeah I just I'd always I'd always thought well I'll take six weeks and then I'll go write another picture book or I'll take six months and then I'll go write another picture book and I was like you know what I don't even know if I want to go write another picture book and like that's okay and that again it coincided that's it just before the Christmas uh that Christmas I think it was is when I um had gone to see my creative consultant Elaine and I think that really helped me that really helped me to figure out like I was the one holding myself accountable for these deadlines and the like failures that I'd done previously and that that the work I was doing had never I'd never planned for it to become uh a, a career like it was or like a it was never meant to make money it was never meant to become a shop or a business or a like nothing was meant to come of it um and I don't think I could have I think if I'd given myself though even those restrictions that early on, like this has to, I've got to make these drawings because I've got to sell them as prints or put together mm-hmm. a book. I don't think I would have done it. I think that would have, even that would have been too restrictive. Um, but yeah, to to get to that point, like January twenty nineteen, I think it would have been, um, and be like, okay, this is it. Like, keep going. Like you, you still don't have any money, but you're a lot happier. So <laughs> keep going. <laughs> Was there also a discovery in the? So I, now I'm speaking from thinking about my own experience with location drawing. Was there also a discovery in terms of the things that you were drawing and realizing that this is also fun to draw? Something that you'd not previously considered as "quote unquote" worthy of art. Yeah, yeah, like uh, I was drawing. So that first year, well, that first 2018, those first six months, I would draw anything. Like like if someone was like, do you want to come for a coffee? I'd be like, yeah, can I bring my sketchbook? And it would be like, or someone would say, and I slowly built up confidence. So I was drawing out more with people. Um, I didn't at that point, I don't think I had anyone who I was physically going drawing with I'm racking my brains to make sure I'm not offending anyone and forgetting that I've been out drawing but 2018 I think I was still sort of going out by myself and just drawing um but it's where I start that that sort of end of 2018 start of 2019 was when I really started falling in love with landscape and especially like Cornish and Devon landscape like it just I think because I'd I because I'd spent so long on the coast path, like walking and drawing, it really, it felt like it was part of that healing process. So the paintings and drawings that I do now, 
they feel so special like they feel like they're they feel like they're part of me like those locations and it it feel when I even if I paint something now and I haven't been on location but I've been there and I'm working from photographs but I have been there I can feel all that emotion like going into them again it's really yeah it it really it's that's where that that started really um and it kind of I suddenly had like a focus of what I was looking for as well so I wasn't just turn, turning up any like I, w- I wasn't just turning up at a coffee shop with my 6p pencil and a sketchbook I was sort of like well I was researching in to places and being like well this has got this and I can sit here and this is right. a good view and yeah starting to be a bit more strategic with where I was choosing um but it, it was around that time that I'd uh, I was visiting so many places and I was trying well, what I'd try and do because I was still quite anxious. I would try and research those places before I went. So I would, again, I'd use the little person on Google maps, but I'd also read like blog posts that people had done of their holidays there. Or I'd like scout around and I'd be like, where is a bench? And like, where is the nearest toilet? And where is like somewhere that I can get somewhere to eat? And I just couldn't find like a collection of everything together. Like I wanted like a, a book or a blog or something of like places to draw in Devon and Cornwall. Here's everything you need. Like here's the things you need to bring with you. (laughs) You need to bring lunch because there's nowhere to eat in this place. Or like the toilet is here. Make sure you go before you walk down to the Harbor and then come back up again. So I, I started to put something like that together and that was kind of my 2019 plan was like, I'm going to make this book of like places people can go and draw um but I I think I just really for me it was about the drawing and like as soon as I started to put that together I was like I don't want to do this like my whole like I almost backed out like a like I'd gone in and I'd gone no 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 I don't all I want to be doing is like making art and yeah I'm quite I I mean I wish I'd made that book because it would be really useful now (laughs) but like (laughs) now I want to go back out drawing more it'd be so nice to have that as a reference but um it made me it was quite uh almost like my intuition was like no 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 you don't need to turn this into a something it doesn't need to be um, right I don't know if you found that with like you said you've been blogging and writing and yeah I'm I'm at an interesting position where I'm trying to find what works so there are ways that I've previously considered how I would use my urban sketches because so much of it was about being a foreigner in this part of the world. So I was trying to discover the US and trying to see how how things work in this city. And my initial ideas were things like using urban sketches in a graphic novel narrative. So mm-hmm. I I set myself this challenge of having a couple of sketchbooks which would be modeled as comic book frames. So panels, and I would have word bubbles, I would have thought bubbles, and I would have a narrative going on the top uh, part of every every panel. But it felt like I was pushing something into it that didn't quite fit. And it's partly, I, I'm now thinking back, I feel like it's partly because I've never quite felt that just my drawings are enough to say something. I need to have words because I'm a writer who also draws and it took me a lot of time to understand that slowly I was becoming an artist who also writes. And 
sort of like what you mentioned about how your Instagram following grew a lot. And then these people had come in at a later wave who didn't know the person you were before. And then you wonder about how to tell them this. So (laughs) I found myself living in a small town in Wisconsin after we moved from Chicago. And it was just a little town. I, I didn't have a mental picture of Wisconsin before this, other than having seen that 70s show before. And I was living in rural or semi rural Wisconsin. And now nobody knows me. They don't know that I've been writing for 15 years before. They don't know I had a blog that was a thing. They don't care that I wrote here, here, here. They just know that I make some drawings because I post them on Instagram. And that's how they know me. And this thing, it felt odd. It just felt bizarre that people have this notion of me that I possibly cannot affect. It's just, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing this thing. So, And this is who they think I am. How do I tell them that I am more? And a bit of it was still, I felt, I feel like I was just running away from being an artist because I didn't want to give myself that. I didn't permit myself to use that label. How can you be an artist? You're not an artist. People want your drawings for some reason. It just felt so bizarre when someone would ask for a print, Mm -hmm. just a print of just something I drew just in my sketchbook that day. It's so strange that you want it. Here it is. Sure. Thank you. But (laughs) I don't understand how this is working. And I sort of accidentally fell into it. And until I gave myself the permission to lean on this, that yes, okay, I'm an artist. And only over the last year, what's happened is that, of course, I was thinking with your book that it's probably maybe a good idea you didn't publish it because (laughs) 2020 was not the year for a book about (laughs) going out and using public facilities. And (laughs) so... So similarly, I found that I'm not going out so much and I want to be able to talk about what I'm, what I draw because I want to understand if there's more to it. So it's a process of self-discovery as well, but also being able to share more dimensions of my work. So I started writing again and uh, it's been over a year that I've been writing this newsletter and I send it out to my readers and it's a weekly thing. So every week, a few days a week, I have to write something that has a beginning, middle and end, even if it's, if sometimes it's long, sometimes it's really short, sometimes it's about the podcast episodes, sometimes it's about my drawings, sometimes it's about many drawings. So it's quite open ended that way, but it's a weekly thing and I have to do it. And I found it helps me so much. It sort of helps me crystallize why I'm an artist and what this drawing means and sometimes just the process of articulating that helps me understand myself better yeah so i'm I've, i'm always asking myself this thing that why did i draw this thing yeah and i ask other artists too like why did you draw that what made you draw that building what possessed you to not draw any people for example because i always draw the people and that sort of thing is very fascinating to me. Partly also the reason why I have this podcast now. <laughs> Just to be able to, uh, it's also a, pa- a child of the pandemic in that I lost touch with Urban Sketchers and there were no meetups. And it's been such a great way for me to learn more mm-hmm. and to expand my perspectives that I didn't want it to stop. And I needed a good excuse to get these Urban Sketchers to talk to me for a couple of hours. <laughs> so... <laughs> We're going to record this and some other people are also going to get to hear it. But I'm the reason we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. 
love that that feels very similar though to I know we're going to chat about it later on but with patron like I get to I just feel so lucky I I get to make work and then I get to dissect that work and film myself talking about it and like what materials I used and how I did it and where I sat and what I took with me and um and like that is actually sometimes more important that like dissecting a piece of work than an the piece of work itself and like yeah it's I I do think that that process of like talking about work and um I'm sure you find this with the podcast it like it helps so much like it will sometimes it'll just I found it listening listening to the podcast sometimes someone will talk about something and I'll go ah yeah that's why I did that or like oh they've done that I'm gonna try that or like Mm -hmm. it's just so useful like hearing people talk about it is so useful yeah absolutely it's it's you steal good ideas I, I steal ideas all the time I've I give so much credit to my drawing abilities or let's not say ability, but just the product that I make, what my art is and what it isn't. So much of it is because of being around urban sketchers and seeing that, oh, I can do this. Mm. I don't like to draw buildings, so I don't need to draw buildings. And this is a question that comes up so often. I have done a few uh, classes on Zoom and uh, taught people how I do urban sketching. And a lot of people have this question of how do you break things down? Like you're sitting somewhere and you see so many things in front of you. How do you not draw something? And that's something that I took from Urban Sketchers that if you don't want to draw the building, just sort of suggest it and then don't draw it. Give yourself the permission to not draw it. And a lot of ideas have come to me this way. And I just, I I indiscriminately steal them from... Uh, better and more varied artists around me and it's so good to be part of a community so uh, we'll we'll go into this more but I want to ask you about uh, something that you mentioned and I was thinking about how now when you start chasing the things you want to do and just this idea that I might put together a book of places that you can go to draw and how you would do it it's it's a self-propelled self-fueled let's say approach to what you want to do and that's not how an illustrator always functions because as an illustrator you're waiting for a project or you're seeking a project but then you get a project and you're not necessarily exploring your own motivations so how has that what what kind of transition has that been has it been a challenge for you and uh, what's it been like to do that to to propel yourself in this way i think um it's really interesting because my boyfriend is an illustrator and he works on commission work. The commission work comes in, he has a deadline, he has structure, he works to a brief, he can do that. I can't do that. And I don't think I've ever really been able to do that. Um, and I don't think, I think it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier when I was, I still cringe. I can't believe I've said, I've admitted it. But when I just assumed that work would come in for me, like, and I didn't go chasing those jobs. I think almost part of me didn't, almost didn't want those jobs. Like I didn't, I don't think I've ever wanted, I don't think I've ever really wanted to work to a brief. And I have a couple of times, even over the last couple of years, I've had like, um, I had a, I had one job come in uh, just before I started painting more. 
I'd like been not doing all this location drawing work and projects and then this job came in and uh, I hadn't really worked on anything that wasn't my own stuff for so long and I was like oh my gosh this is amazing they want me to draw in this new way that I'm drawing and they're gonna pay me to do it like I couldn't believe it and then I quickly realized that I don't like working to a brief because all of a sudden they put restrictions on everything and I was like I can't and my work changes my work changes very quickly like I go from I can if you if you said to me here's a piece of paper paint paint that house I could do it but if you said to me here's a piece of paper it has to be this size in this dimension with this and I need it by this day I won't want to do it like I almost again it feels that same feeling of when I wanted to do that book it's like oh no 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 <laughs> like <laughs> and I said to someone the other day I wonder if there's two types of illustrators I think there's lots of types of illustrators but this is like really boiling it down if you boiled it down to two there's like illustrators who are more artists and illustrators who are more designers and those that can work to a brief and those that can't and I definitely lean very heavily to an artist side and I don't I I I struggled for a while because I was an illustrator and then I started painting and I struggled to know what to call myself and a lot of people were like it doesn't matter but it kind of does when you like meet someone and they go oh what do you do and you go uh I kind of draw I draw I draw pictures like it doesn't but I've started now saying that I'm an artist rather than an illustrator um and I don't I don't know I don't think I don't think either is right but like I don't think I ever I've I've never enjoyed working to a brief anyway so now getting to do my own self-directed work it it feels like this is the right path it feels like this is what I'm meant to be doing like right yeah 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 i i absolutely resonate with that because and i hope it doesn't mean i get less commissions because i i get a lot of commissions and i uh, say at the very outset that it's going to take me two to three weeks to do this mm -hmm. and it's not because it's going to take me that long to draw it it's going to take me two and a half weeks to sit down and actually do it because until then i want to procrastinate yeah. and this is just how i am i can't when I have to draw something for someone else, it's every fiber of me fights against it. And I'm thinking about what they want and what they want is what I would do. Yeah. But <laughs> it's it's difficult to fully accept that. So for the longest time, I push it off for another day and I do something else and I push it off again for another day. And I have this timetable on my on my computer and I keep moving the, the to-do list forward <laughs> and uh, then one day I'll just sit down and I'll do it in like two hours, but I need three weeks to do it in two hours. Now, where I'm really lucky is that the people who commission me most often seem to enjoy that. And most people tell me it's just do what you want. And I don't want to tell you, but here's what we think, but just do what you want. Like, mm -hmm. And I love it that they say that and they let me do that because it's the only way it seems to work for me. Yeah, the picture book I've just finished they, I explained that to them. The first meeting I had, I said, you know, I, I struggle to make final artwork. It is the thing that I will struggle with in this project. That is what I'm going to really find really, really hard. And they knew that from the beginning and they were supportive 
from the beginning and they were also like I said to them uh, a couple of weeks ago like I couldn't have done this without you guys like you both you've like you un- you understand like my brain and they were like yeah of course like we know we knew you know we know that that's your process and that's the way you're going to be working like we knew that from the beginning so um but yeah it's it's finding those people who uh understand that but I don't know I don't think it's always the case I think sometimes I think it works well when you're working with another creative person because they under, they get it they go oh yeah yeah that's how that's like we're having this conversation now and you're right. going yeah 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 um but some <laughs> like if I my dad was an engineer so when you were saying that you've got that engineer mindset like I grew up with that like of that like everything's regimented everything's planned everything is structured like everything we know exactly when we're leaving we know where we're going we know what we're doing and um I think it has helped my work ethic I work really hard and always have done but I think um it doesn't always work when you're an artist and sometimes me and my dad will have a conversation and again it's like what you said like you need that thinking time like that daydreaming time but he doesn't get that he's like why don't you just get that work done in the time you're meant to get it done and I'm like well I can't because it's gonna take three weeks I can't like yeah yeah Yeah. there's a bit of magic seems a little self-aggrandizing to say it but like you have to believe that there is a bit of thing in it magic in the sense of not magic maybe but some things that are a little beyond your own conscious deliberate control and you have to allow a lot of circumstances to become favorable and you have to wait for a harmonious moment in order to jump into it I found that recently with some commissions I've completed this week that it just needed me to procrastinate for two weeks in order for it to be done exactly right in the most pleasing way that it could be done and somehow seems to work for everybody so maybe you know maybe it's just an artificial thing that we've put on ourselves this need for efficiency I was listening to this I was listening to this podcast in which the person was speaking about how it's so they were talking about uh, existentialism and uh, AI and uh, how in the how we are envisioning the future and they were talking about this thing called the Turing test do you know what the Turing test is? remind me i have heard of it but remind sure. me sure so alan turing is the father of artificial intelligence because of amazing work he did during world war 2 he broke the famous enigma code yes um and uh, the turing test is a way to judge whether an artificial intelligence is now starting to sound human so a person uh, interacts with an artificial intelligence asks questions and then decides whether this was artificial intelligence or another human. And once it has passed the Turing test, it is effectively passing off as human in an interaction. And these people were talking about how, in the podcast, they were talking about how the Turing test is kind of flawed today because in a lot of ways, it's not that machines have become more human, it's that humans have become a lot like machines because of the way we we do so much routine mindless work mm-hmm. we fill in checks check boxes we we stick to a schedule we think in a very limited ambit and then operate within that and then switch off so it's not just that machines are becoming more like more like us but that 
we are also meeting them halfway a lot of us are become, beginning to operate for a large part of our day like machines our understanding of efficiency and the idea of a productive life and i've always felt that i need to be productive i need to be productive mm-hmm. it's not something that has always existed in history it's not something that is perhaps more than 50 60 years old that we think that the entire point of life is to be as productive as we can be and productive means so many things whether you are of use to yourself whether you are of use to society whether that use is measurable in terms of uh, economic output or other outputs these are all a lot of new burdens that we have just assumed and they've become part of our world view now and such a deep part of our world view that often we don't even question it at all yeah yeah it's so true especially yeah like what you were saying about um efficient like like the your productivity is what is what you kind of measure on and i think we've both said that we both have done that like you've got to be the most productive version of yourself to have a good day like that's what gives a good day i've tried really hard like especially in the last couple of weeks i've tried really hard to take days off midweek which mm-hmm. like feels so bad like it feels yeah. like oh. a bad i'm a bad person for doing it but i took one off i took a day off last week and we just went and walked in um some woods near where we live and we went and looked at waterfalls after it rained and i was like that is that is the most best that is the best day i've had in like months months and months and months and that is a that's what a good day for me should feels like and like i'm i'm i my my personal trainer told me like you need to have mental health days you need to take those days like when you can and like uh yeah like we were chatting we were chatting yesterday and i said i was going to go for a really long walk today um before we recorded and like again it's it's being like i am going to go do that i could have stayed at home and answered my emails and everything inside of me was like you should answer your emails you've got loads of emails to answer <laughs> right. and i had to fight against myself and be like no go go do the walk like you will feel so much better for doing the walk rather than having an empty inbox um so yeah like i think i am trying so hard to fight it but it's it's ingrained isn't it like it's so ingrained into you to 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 work um that doing the opposite is sometimes that is hard that's the hardest thing yeah even now just saying it that it feels like are you saying something wrong are you saying mm. something that shouldn't how can how can you just say this that don't be so productive even even just articulating that thought feels like you're pushing against something and surely people are going to judge me the wrong way for saying this yeah um on the subject of productivity and taking breaks i think let's take a short break now okay. in the middle of our conversation <laughs> Great. And then let's come back to a lot of the other amazing things that I want to hear about from you. Cool. Excellent. I want to take a short break here so that Emma and I can catch a breath, grab some coffee and collect fresh thoughts. Meanwhile, I want to tell you about the bonus section of this episode, the postscript. that Emma and I have recorded for Sneaky Art Insiders and this begins with me taking the chance to thank my sponsors my sponsors are listeners like you 
the Sneaky Art Insiders who choose to help keep this show going. The Sneaky Art Podcast is 100% independent and I do all the work around it myself. From booking guests, dreaming up questions, conducting these conversations, to editing the episode afterwards, typing out all these words that you're hearing right now. It's a lot of work, but I like to do it all. But it's a lot of work. I'm staking all this effort on the promise of the creator economy, that a creator on the internet today can survive and even thrive upon micropayments from thousands of fans instead of seeking the patronage of a few large companies. Supporting me, therefore, is very easy because I make it a point to make it affordable for listeners anywhere in the world. So, if you like this episode, find the button in the show notes to buy me a coffee. That's it. Just a coffee to say, hey, I like this thing that you're doing and also take it as an opportunity to start a conversation. Maybe tell me your thoughts about this episode, what you like, what you didn't like. If you have a guest to recommend for future episodes, this is another great way to do it. If you like this show and have enjoyed a number of past episodes, consider becoming a Sneaky Art Insider. Insiders commit to supporting me every month to the tune of roughly one cup of coffee per episode in exchange for a variety of giveaways and privileges. This includes bonus commentaries, access to listening parties for various episodes, and postscript conversations where I continue to chat with my guests for a few minutes after the main recording is done. This episode, for example, has a postscript section where Emma and I are drawing portraits of each other over uh, the video call and are chatting a a little bit more about our methods for both the artistic and the non-artistic slash business sides of our work. Insiders will get access to this bonus conversation as well as the drawings that we drew of each other. Okay then, coming back to the conversation. We resume with Emma asking me about how urban sketching came into my life, and I wax nostalgic about the profound influence of the urban sketching community, and particularly the Chicago chapter at a very significant turning point in my life. We go on to speak about how color and mark making came into Emma's art, the surprising influence of artist colleagues and friends in her work, the fascinating ways that she takes her sketchbook art to large canvases, and the fun stuff that she's doing on her Patreon with hundreds of supporters. Let's get started. So how how did you meet the group of... Because you were saying that you drew with urban, urban sketches. Is... Is that where you, is that where you like, I guess, did you, I don't know how to phrase, this is why you're the interviewer and I'm the interviewee. (laughs) Did you, um, did you start drawing on location first or did you know what location drawing was and then be like, I'm going to go do that? Like which, which came first? Right. Yeah. It's, it's a little topsy-turvy because. Uh, I've always liked to draw, even as a kid, and I would be taken for art classes. My parents were very encouraging, and I liked to draw, but 
I was never able to draw from imagination. I was just awful at drawing people or anything from imagination. But I was always really good, really good at drawing from uh, references. Drawing from observation never quite occurred to me, except that it's done for portraiture. And that seemed like such an impossible challenge because my notion of life drawing was the, for these super hyper-realistic illustrations. And I couldn't do that possibly. So I never thought of it as a legitimate thing one could do. And I always thought, I don't know how to draw, but I know how to copy. That's how I would uh, discredit myself for the longest time, that if you give me a picture, I'll draw it and it'll look good. I know. But that's not that's not drawing. That's not a skill. That's just copying. And uh, I believed that for the longest time. But when I needed to start to learn to draw better, because I was drawing these comics, and I was frankly just a little bored of saying things with stick figures. I wanted to say bigger things. I wanted my people to look like distinct people, not just universally a man, a woman, something like that, because that's the extent of what I could show with stick figures. And this challenge kind of made me, pushed me to consider what I could do to learn. And I had done so many things that didn't work. I drew on Reddit for a long time. So there's this subreddit called Reddit Gets Drawn in which people post pictures of themselves and artists uh, make drawings of them. And in the comment section, you can see sometimes dozens of different drawings of someone's interesting picture. And I did that for like, I did more than 300 of those. Like I would just go on Reddit and draw four people very quickly. And a lot of the reason for the kind of artist I became, and I realized, I realize now that urban sketching sort of worked for me because of sort of the personality I have in generally being an impatient person who likes to finish a piece in one go. Mm. I can't, I can't do the job of layering. Comics were a very tedious job for me because it needs you to have rough ideas and then slightly better ideas and then slightly better, more refined ideas. And then you do the final piece and sometimes you edit and you do this whole cycle again. And it's necessary. If you want to do good job mm -hmm. as an illustrator, as a cartoonist, you have to do this. And it's just not my nature to work this way. I work in one go. And sometimes I think that that's just me being lazy, but that's how I think. And that's how I work very nicely. I can draw a hundred different things, but I can't redraw the same thing 10 times and get it just right in a particular way. So when I needed to learn, I went on Instagram and I started looking through things and I found this hashtag of urban sketchers. And I saw a few pictures of people with a sketchbook and the object right behind them. And I thought this is interesting. And I wanted to do it because I simply loved Chicago. Like mm -hmm. it was just the most, it felt like I was in a movie set. Like this is not the real, this can't be the real world. Like the things these people do, like the way people, I don't know if you've been to America, but people just live however they want to live. It's bizarre. <laughs> they just they just do things. This is how I told my, what I told my girlfriend too, that what is with this place? They just do whatever they want to do. Like you can see people express themselves to their craziest selves without batting an eyelid and they don't care. Like they'll just say anything on the bus to anybody on the phone. They'll just talk in bars and they don't seem to care how it sounds to other people on other tables. And that's, it's so liberating mm. sort of the freedom that quote unquote freedom <laughs> that 
Yoga gave me was this, that just be yourself and it's allowed. Drawing on location sort of came from that for me. So yeah. I started started doing that, that I try, I try to merge the things that work for me and the things that excite me because I knew that I can't do anything if it doesn't excite me. Like I can't just do work knowing that it's going to pay off in a few months. I need it to work today as well. And that's quite a conflict, right? Like instant reward versus delayed rewards is an interesting subject we should also go into. Mm-hmm. But uh, I started doing that and I found that I love Chicago. I love seeing the city and I get a kick out of exploring it. And if I draw on the same time, those two things can meet. And I started doing it on my own until one day I was walking and I saw this poster saying Urban Sketchers Symposium. So I quite a bit of luck that I happened to be in Chicago in the six months that there was a global Urban Sketchers Symposium in Chicago. And Chicago incidentally has one of the best urban sketching chapters like it's big it's got all kinds of amazing people in it who are super nice and uh like they i credit them so much for making making me into an artist helping me become one and so i it was too late for me to join it because tickets sell out like within seconds i didn't know that but it was happening in like a couple of months and i kind of gate crashed (laughs) (laughs) I knew that they're having sketch crawls and they'll be outdoors. Maybe I'll just show up. I'll just watch and I'll talk to some people. So I did that and I found out what it's all about. And I found out what the community is like. And then that you can also just be an urban sketcher. And there's a word for this thing that I'm doing. It's actually urban sketcher. And lots of people do it and it's cool. And you can sit with them and then you don't feel so awkward about doing it. So I started to go for these meetups and that's, that was just so liberating. Like a lot of urban sketches put it in these words that it's like finding your tribe. Yeah. And a lot of us feel this way that it's, it's remarkable. Like people in Hong Kong, people in India, people in uh, Vancouver, in Chicago, in Europe, everywhere, there are people who think they want to draw in public and who think that this is a bizarre thing that surely only I want to do. And then they find urban sketchers and they all have this moment of, aha, this is my tribe. It's just this experience that thousands of people are having and we're all just amazing, excited about it and in disbelief. So it's really remarkable that it happens that way. So for me, it's been really great because it's been this uh, this community without a hierarchy. Yeah. Like you don't have to be this good in order to talk to somebody or to learn from somebody or to join them for a sketch crawl. And that was necessary because I am an outsider. I've never studied art. For the longest time, I hesitated to call myself an artist. And everything that I know is because I really, really wanted to do it. And I picked up my pen and I had a sketchbook and I started doing it. So for me, this community was the way that I could do all of these things accelerated and I could, I could like uh, these stupid, bizarre obstacles of permission, right? Like, am I allowed to sketch a person on the street? Am I allowed to just sketch a building and not the building behind it? This thing might have held me up for like three or four years if I didn't know that other people are doing this. Yeah. So in six months, I was a person that I maybe possibly fingers crossed, could have become in six years if I was on my own. 
and that's what i got from them and uh then i started to kind of push with my own motivations of why am i doing this because then i moved to wisconsin and the nearest urban sketching chapter was in minneapolis which was 90 miles an hour and a half driving away once a month and i was in a small town so now there are no skyscrapers now it is not the greatest city i've ever seen now there are no comedy clubs there are, there isn't amazing things around every street corner what are you going to draw now how are you going to keep drawing i asked myself that and i had to find a new fuel in a sense and then that fuel became trying to live in this place that i don't know how do i feel at home in this absolutely foreign part of the world and how do i feel like i understand these people so i needed to be at cafes because i needed to see how these people sit in cafes and the only way that i could spend 2 hours in a cafe in eau claire wisconsin was if i had my sketchbook otherwise i would just feel too out of place and i would leave mm-hmm. so the sketchbook gave me the license to sit in the parks during these public events there's music in the park so i can sit there because i have my sketchbook i don't know anybody and everybody knows everybody because it's small town but i don't know anybody how do i sit here for an hour and a half not feeling odd i have a sketchbook i'm allowed how do i sit in a cafe so uh i used the sketchbook to spend time to understand more and to sort of bond with people at a distance that i i didn't say hi to them i didn't talk to them but now i know something i know what they do i know how they order their coffee i know who they sit with and how they chat with their friends this is one layer of understanding i have of them and so then the urban sketching and sneaky art it took on a new motivation for me this is how i'm going to feel at home in this place mm-hmm. that i otherwise have no reason to understand isn't it amazing that a sketchbook can do that like home is like such a lovely word to use for a sketchbook like it is it's like home for a home for all your drawings and observations and thoughts and feelings and yeah so like a sketchbook is just amazing it's such an amazing tool yeah yeah absolutely because i remember like all of those memories and feelings are like trapped in those pages mm-hmm. so if i'll open a sketchbook from 2017 and i flip through it because we're in this zone of just absorbing everything our senses are wide open all the receptors are fully prepared and primed to take in things and it's not just vision there are sounds there are smells there's just the the temperature the wind all of these ideas and feelings of how how it, how we are in this moment in this present moment in this place all of that is locked in the page even if it's not drawn in the page i wonder if i can communicate that to people like can they feel how much of this can they feel when they see the drawing that's really interesting isn't it i i i I didn't have that 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 feeling where you can remember what you've put on a page in a sketchbook. I didn't have that until I started the 6 week 6 month life project that I started. So I didn't have that but now I have it. And I can flick through a sketchbook and 
it's I do sketchbook tours on my patron and I'll flick through and I can tell people exactly where I was exactly what I was doing exactly how I was feeling and it's just I just can't believe I can't believe I hadn't had that before and it's interesting that I didn't have that before like previously like I had it a bit but not not that I was noticing whereas now I've got it and I can flick open a sketchbook and be like oh my gosh I can't I've I'd forgotten I'd even gone there but like it all comes flooding back it's just yeah it's amazing but yeah you're right I wonder if people can people must be able to tell like they must be able to I I've had um I had Frances Ives come stay with me in the summer for a week and I picked her up from um she drove down to where my boyfriend was next to her and I went and picked her up and drove her down to Plymouth. And um, she was like, oh my gosh, I can see your work now. She was like, I can see, like all of your work, you can see it everywhere. Like all right. the landscapes and like everything around you in Devon and Cornwall, she was like, this is you, like you can see that. But it's funny, like sometimes you need someone else to tell you it, don't you? Yeah. Have you uh, had an experience selling your art in person to people like at a fair or something like that only prints um I did it was uh 2019 was the last one I did because of COVID um and it's lovely because you you just it it's almost like again going back to the Instagram thing you you even though you're posting work and people are liking it and people are leaving comments you they're still not real people. They're just names on a screen with a little picture. They're not like people stood in front of you and there's that disconnect between, like I remember when I was doing it in 2018 and I first met up with a lot of people at Bologna Book Fair and they were like, we love the work you're doing. And I, at, till that point, I'd really not actually considered that they were re- that people were actually reading what I was writing or looking uh-huh. at what I was doing. Um, so doing a fair doing that fair 2019 uh it was lovely it was like it I yeah I was selling prints of the work and just people people were buying them and being like I've followed you on Instagram I've seen your work or like that was amazing and I I don't know now about doing fairs again it feels like I've it feels like I've stepped back from them I think 20 you know 2020 happened and it just feels a bit odd now to be going out and selling work face to face I don't know I I don't know how I feel but then there is that disconnect like I now just stand in my studio rolling prints into tubes so it's I do miss that interaction with people yeah yeah it's a bit of yeah it's both of those things for me because the first time I sold art at a market was in 2018 and I was in Eau Claire Wisconsin and what's really bizarre about this is that I'm just a new person here. I haven't Mm. lived in this part of the world with you, but here are my drawings of this part of the world that you grew up in. So I got to see for one season. So there were like 12, 10 or 12 instances that I, every Saturday of summer that I would set up the market. And then I did it again in 2019 with my book. And it was such an enriching experience to see somebody flip through your work and to observe what they stop at. And sometimes people, a lot of people would buy and talk about the work. A lot of people also didn't buy, but they would talk about mm. what they were looking at. And that was so interesting to me that I can be new and I can be, un, like, this can be foreign to me. 
but I can still offer value to people who've grown up here. What can I possibly show them about their park that they haven't seen? They've been seeing it for years, but my drawing of it still had something to offer them. And that is such an interesting thought about, it made me, it kind of made me think that about the value that an artist offers Mm. and Again, all these obstacles that I put in front of it, that I'm not a local, what do I know? How can I talk about it? How can I share my drawing of it? And then the next year, I put together a book, which I self-published. And that was Sneaky Art of Eau Claire. It's my first book of art. Mm -hmm. And again, who am I to write a book or put together a book of Eau Claire? I've only lived here two years, but it did so well. And I, I got such lovely feedback in person from people like it's such a big deal like Mm -hmm. every person who would buy my book I was just thinking wow you're gonna let me into your world now and that is such a huge deal right isn't that a lovely way of thinking of it like I think though what you were saying before like you you didn't know that place and you discovered it through drawing and you've put all your emotions in and when you asked like do you think other people can see them? They must see that in your work to then, you know, stop and be like, oh my gosh, yes, this is, this is for me. So yeah, that's, I think that is, that is like, I think, I think sometimes you can get to that place when you're drawing on location, but you have to get to that, you have to get in that zone to get to that place. I think sometimes like I can draw on location, like I could draw on location now out this window, but I'm a bit cold and like, I don't really, I'm not that comfortable and it's not something I want to do. But I think when you want to do it and you make those drawings because you're doing them for you and you've got that investment in because it's, helping you in a, in a, in a way like you discover Wisconsin. And um, I think then you're putting like a little piece of you into that work. And then, yeah, people are buying that. Like, that's really special. That's amazing. Yeah. So uh, I want to uh, sort of understand now that now that you're becoming an, you're becoming more of an artist, Mm -hmm. moving away from the label of just illustrator in a sense and you mentioned that when you were doing the the location drawing project that you took a number of pencils with you. But over and over in your work, I see a wide variety of art materials. There are poster paints, you're using crayons, and uh, you're using them in the most bizarre ways. Like, <laughs> Thank it's, you. <laughs> it's so odd. Though. You're, you're kind of diving in with your fingers, and it's messy, but it's like you're really... In a way, you're so involved with all of those materials and then with the paper that you're working on and Mm -hmm. that the paper also is small as well as large. So tell me a little bit about mark making and how that sort of grew with you. Is it something you were always comfortable with? And if not, how how did you come to this place? No, so I hated using color and I couldn't make final artwork for all three years of my degree and most of my MA as well I just couldn't do it and I used to make artwork so the first two picture books I did are created with every single layer is drawn separately 
So every single color is drawn separately. So like if I was coloring, coloring my jumper, for example, it's blue. So I do the blue layer and then it's got a slight texture on. So I do the texture on another layer and then I would do like it's got brown flecks on it. So I do those on another layer and then I do the white flecks. And then so just my jumper in my illustration would all of a sudden be like six layers deep. Um, and that was the only way I could trick my brain into making artwork. Um, so when I started uh, location drawing in Cambridge, even then it was a lot of pencil, um, occasionally colour if I'd been forced to take like some inks out. I had the Windsor and Newton ink bottles. Um, and when I first started drawing this, uh, when I first started drawing in 2018 again, I had... I didn't have any money, so I didn't have any money to buy anything with. And I had everything that I'd bought during my degree that I could use. That was like my choices. So I had um, an art creation sketchbook, which I hadn't opened. It had been in its wrapper for like three years or something or two years. And it was brand new and white and it was perfect. And uh, I had like like three pencils and like I had some other bits that I picked up on my MA, um, but it was nothing very exciting and I did it really slowly so um I was originally just using like two pencils and then someone gave me a Tombow and was like have you ever heard of these and I was said no um and I had one gray Tombow and like two pencils and then all of a sudden someone was like I think maybe my mum and dad had bought me some Tombows and they were like if you like using them maybe you should buy yourself a few more but I don't know where I bought them from like I can't remember buying things um but you can see it's really nice actually you can see in my sketchbook that sketchbook that first ever sketchbook I did it goes from like pencil drawings to a little bit of color and then a lot of color and I think it almost tracks how I was feeling as well which is really nice like it follows that trajectory of feeling better I got more confident using more materials and I think as well like that confidence of I think we you know we've mentioned before like you try and get a drawing done as fast as possible and then close the book and run away so that no one can talk to you um but I started to get more confident on location so I started to give myself more time on location so I was like well I don't have to do this in five minutes anymore because if someone talks to me that's okay like I feel more confident in the work I'm making and I also perfected the slow close, which is where you just very slowly, like you feel someone coming up behind you and then you just slowly close the book <laughs> until they go away <laughs> and then you can carry on. Um, and it's not rude. It's just um, it just it's a nice way of saying, please don't look at what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I I met um, Emily Powell. Uh, we met through Instagram and we met in 2019. I think it must have been 2019 and uh she invited me over to her house for a cup of tea and I thought we'd already met I thought we'd met previously so I said yes and I turned up and she was like we've uh, we were chatting probably for about an hour and then I said oh when we met blah 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 and she went we've never met before this is the first time we've met and I just hadn't twigged I just assumed that we'd met somewhere like an event or uh through um the craft fairs that I used to do with the ceramics I just assumed that we'd met there and that uh, that that she'd invited me over just because we were both drawing and painting. And she was the one who like, she, 
the way she works is chaotic and magic and like like she invited me over and gave she gave me a canvas and she was like here just pour this over it and gave me a a tube of paint and was like just pour it over the whole thing and I was like what (laughs) I can't do that I can't do that and she was like you can look and she'd just get a whole thing of ink and just pour it over a piece of paper or she just it was fear like she had no fear and like she slowly showed it was we started going out drawing on location and she slowly showed me like you don't you can it was I had to, I have to do things slowly I can't jump like for me everything is slow and like uh strategic and things link together so I might try a bit of ink and then I might try a bit of paint and the next one and then I might try a bit of this and um but for her it was like she couldn't understand why I couldn't just go from drawing in like tombos and pencil to throwing a pot of ink everywhere but eventually she got me to and I, I put a, a video up on my Instagram stories and I poured a whole thing of paint ink over a sketchbook and I got so many messages <laughs> saying, what have you done? <laughs> like, this is crazy. Like, people just couldn't believe it. And then a few, I, don't, I can't remember if it was a few weeks later or a few months later, she took my whole sketchbook and threw it in the sea. Like, she just took a whole sketchbook full of drawings and just threw that. We were sat on the seawall and she just chucked it over the seawall. And <laughs> although it sounds scary, it was actually like I'd recommend it to everyone, uh, but maybe not with a sketchbook if you've, you're really attached to those drawings. But like, it didn't, I lost all, like, I didn't care anymore about. The, the work it, it the work was being the important thing was that I was making the work and once my brain clicked and was like I can just do this again or I can just try something else next time or I can work in five sketchbooks at once if I want on location like I had to slowly slowly get there I think the sketchbook in the sea was a big like um <laughs> like a big jump for me <laughs> but um uh yeah the it was, and now I'm, I find sketchbook, I'm fearless in sketchbooks because that's what, that's, that the, they're there to be explored, you know, like, and I, I say to my patrons, like the drawings that I'll learn more from the drawings go, that go wrong than the drawings that go right. So I would ma- rather make five bad drawings than a good one. Um Yeah. 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 I especially I love what you said about uh well throwing it into the sea is a bit extreme. <laughs> but <laughs> I still have it. It's fully. The apart. attitude adjustment is so important. And I've I've thought about it in similar ways. Like there's the the, the blank page is just this beast, right? Like mm-hmm. so many people as a writer, as an artist, you will be afraid of the blank page. And I've had to tell myself that no matter what happens the next whatever i draw even if i absolutely love it the next time is going to be better mm-hmm. it might not be better but it's an attitude you have to imbibe you have to fake it to imagine that you are the master of this page and the no sketchbook is bigger than you like mm-hmm. i in those terms i absolutely resonate with that because that's it's been super important like i told myself i'm going to move into the page with ink 
every line is just going to be there at 100% opacity. There's no backward steps. And there's no way to do that if you're afraid of your lines. You just spoke about imbibing this fearlessness. So how how did it then translate to what was your attitude like? Like now that you have this person who is sort of helping you be more uh, spontaneous and mm-hmm. uh, more fearless, how did you go about diving into colors and exploring different media? Um. Well, the the first drawing, I think the first drawing session I did with um, I'm just trying to think where we went. I can't remember if it was in Brixham or if we'd done one previously, but I really, the one in Brixham stands out as one. Um, but she, she sort of brought stuff along and she would put, she, <laughs> Emily would put things in my sketchbook already so like I'd be drawing and then she would come along with like a big pink like paintbrush and just swipe the whole thing across in (laughs) pink um I I think that those sorts of like I mean it it, it's not it's not always possible to have someone in your in your life like Emily who just uh, (laughs) forces you into things for the better um but it it definitely did help, but I was, I suppose maybe it's more helpful to talk about the work I was doing just before I met her because I had kind of gradually like built that Tombow collection, um, marker collection, and I kind of had tried different things that I liked, but I was working within a color palette. So I knew that I liked, uh, I, I, I always knew that I liked green and pink together tone like from the color wheel knowing they were complementary colors so I would give myself green and pink to work with because I knew that they would work no matter what I did with them as long as I just used green and pink um and the same with like primary colors as well so when I first did my this is going a bit technical maybe but when I first did my first picture book um I hated the idea of using color so I just used red yellow and blue that's Mm -hmm. all the colors I used in that book um with a few extras thrown in um but limiting yourself is really helpful so but knowing that those colors are also complementary it takes off that there's like you take away one level of worry because you're like well these colors I know they go together they they scientifically go together so I don't need to worry that I'm going to make a mess of the color. I now just need to think about where I'm going to put them. And I think that that really helped me. And then I built it from there. So think then thinking about in like tonal palettes. So I was using a lot of pinks in my work, but I was using a whole array of pinks and different tones. Um, that was really, really helpful. And then when I did come to work with Emily, if she did put a whole thing of pink across my page, I'd be like, right, well, now I'm going to go put some green in there because I know that that's going to balance out that she's just covered my page in fluorescent pink ink. Um, Or if she put like in blue, I'd think, oh, I'll add add a bit of orange because I know that that will balance it out. So having a, I net all my way through university, the color wheel, blew my mind like I didn't understand it at all like I'm dyslexic and I think part of that included that idea of anything graph like just doesn't I don't just it just doesn't sink in (laughs) so I just really really struggled I just didn't understand I didn't understand it and then um 
I still don't really feel like I fully understand color. I feel like it's it's a bit like a it feels like it's a relationship I'm having to work on constantly. Like I don't quite there's still there's so much to learn. I think some people have just naturally got it, but for me it has it's been like a really steep learning curve the whole way, the whole time, I think, that I'm using it. Um which I don't know, it feels quite contradictory because some people say like some people will say to me, like, oh, you use it really intuitively. I'm like, do I? I'm definitely just uh winging it and <laughs> hoping for the best. Because yes, I I would have said the same. I would have said that you seem to have a very intuitive understanding of colors because and I think that's maybe that's partly because of this attitude of just diving in. I love mm. that that cons the you know what happens when somebody puts this pink smear across your page because uh it's the same way with what you said about using limited colors. It takes away a bit of that decision fatigue. You have to now react. And you can't, uh, you can't sort of blame yourself for that first decision that if you had to put that pink smear, maybe you would not have done it. Mm -hmm. But now that it's done, you can only react to it. And it's an outside force that did it. So you don't have to carry the burden of that, of how it looks. It's something you can sort of detach from and then just work on reacting and now dealing with it. So uh, tell me a little bit about now, uh, now that you're working with color, and as you say, it's not intuitive, it's something that you are uh, winging it it in a (laughs) sense, although it looks so natural. Um, You've done this really interesting thing with the countryside where it seems like a mix of abstract art with location drawing, because the vast, the hills which occupy such a large part of the canvas are just done in all sorts of crazy interesting ways so is is that you just exploring colors is where does that come from this mixing of abstraction with observation yeah so i think it started it's it started like a bit of a mix between i was working on location but i also wanted to be working at home and i'd been on a trip to Berlin and I'd come back and I was just scrolling through Instagram and I saw someone doing like some really cool abstract mark making on Instagram just it was like a video and I was like oh that would make such a nice landscape like that that it just it felt like really natural like I'd been painting but in more of a uh an observational way and I was like it didn't feel right like I did one or two and I was like these aren't I want to paint but this isn't it and then I'd seen this person on Instagram it was just like like a really quick it was pre-reels so it was like a really quick video someone had put up and I was like that's cool I'm gonna try that this afternoon in my sketchbook on location um or I think I'd taken I'd done some location drawing and then I just kind of merged the two together in my studio and I was like oh this is fun Um, I'm going to do some more of this and for me it is it's all about texture and mark making like everything I do is texture and mark making like that is that's what makes me really happy and that is why I own so many materials because I'm I'm almost I'm not looking for a new color I'm always looking for something that will make a mark so I even like I'll pick stuff up on dog walks and I'll like 
if I do something and I, it's looking good in the studio, I'll be like, oh, I wonder what will happen if I just throw a load of like tissue paper on and then peel it off. And then like, what's the texture it's left behind? Like it, for me, it's, um, it's const, it's like a constant conversation between me and the canvas or me and the paper. And just like, what happens if, what happens if like I do this or that or this. Um, and then eventually I think in that sense, that part of my practice is really intuitive, but the cut, yeah, color for me, it's, I, I, I understand to a certain extent and then my knowledge stops and I feel like I've hit that ceiling now. Like I've hit the ceiling of where my knowledge is with color. And that is the next thing that I need to either research into or just, I need, I need to another six week project for myself to play I think <laughs> I don't I almost don't I don't have that interest to be like okay I'm gonna go learn this from like a YouTube video or something I need like the I need like a sketchbook and limited colors and be like okay what actually what can I do here and I think yeah that that for me is that's the bit that's I can feel the mark making and the exciting stuff taking off. And then uh, the, 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 there's like a glass ceiling on the color side of my work um, that's holding me back, I feel. But I do like uh, personal training at the gym and you get the same thing. Like, and it's, you get that same, like you start and you like, pick up muscle quickly because like you're new so you do it really and then all of a sudden you plateau because you're not like you've got to challenge yourself again with something else so it's the same Mm -hmm. sort of yeah it's it's nice to see that mindset actually cross over because you can it's once you see it one place like the gym is quite obvious where you see it because you see physical results as well as mental results whereas like drawing sometimes you can't see those results especially if you're really close to the work and you're always working like again in like a bubble like and you, mm-hmm. you, it's only you who's seeing it and then you share stuff again on Instagram and like people say to you oh I really like this this is cool this is new or if you don't show anything for a while it, that's when I start to doubt what I'm doing and then I'll share a little bit and then it's like oh this is cool and again it is that like mountain analogy of, yeah like, yeah the the gym is a really great example actually because this makes me think of another problem that we have as artists or any kind of creative actually is that we feel that we must be naturally good at things to do them and if it doesn't come to you naturally you can't do it or Mm -hmm. it's not worth pushing and the gym is the perfect metaphor because nobody naturally just thinks that they are weightlifters or marathon runners or that they'll just go and run and they'll run a marathon you understand that all of these things need training Mm -hmm. and it needs time and it needs this uh, this uh, uh, putting yourself through the process of trying and failing and pushing and pushing and knowing that you will be able to do it. You will be able to acquire it if you give it enough time and persistent effort. And this is not how we often think about art. We feel like we need to be naturals at it, which is again, like part of what I was saying about having this thing for doing things in one go that, I don't permit myself, and I know these lessons, but I don't sort of allow myself anyway. Like I don't permit myself to do this with my with my exploration with colors, in that um, it's not working, so I don't push. But I need to fail more, and I need to push more, and I need to 
sort of uh, imbibe the gym idea that it's mm-hmm. not going to just work <laughs> you have to do it in steps and get to it yeah yeah and consistency as well like i say that i've said that to my patrons before you need that cons- like if you went to the gym consistently for a month you'd see results if you drew every day consistently for a month you'd see results but if you do like one drawing and it goes wrong and then you don't do any drawing for three weeks because that drawing went wrong you're not going to the results won't be there and it's that same thing again like you said like we we assume we will be amazing artists after the first drawing but like you know 10 years and you're still you're still learning so yeah it yeah yeah um now speaking about uh patrons and uh talking to people on instagram i'm a little i'm keen to understand how you see yourself in what we are now starting to describe as the creator economy in these different ways that especially over the last couple of years the different ways that have developed and sort of taken on the new form in the ways that artists and illustrators are able to connect directly with the people who like their work tell me about how you started the patreon and i'm keen to hear how you reached the point where you understood that you, this is something you want to do and you can do like what were those initial interactions like that gave you the faith to pursue things in this way yeah um yeah so it's been it's been going since uh it was 20 it was definitely 2020 because i'm just trying to think what month it was in because it was um i think it was probably about may 2020 i set the patron up um my again, I saw my creative consultant at the start of the pandemic on Zoom. And I just said to her, like, I don't know what to do. I came back from New Zealand um, in January 2020. And the plan was, is that I'd planned to do a whole year of like traveling and workshops and selling my work and making books like big coffee, nice coffee table books of the work that you've made and then selling those. And that was that was the plan. Like that was the plan when I got back. And then all my plans got just cancelled like <laughs> workshop after workshop just got cancelled and right. uh, all my travel plans got cancelled and I just thought I I I just watched uh, especially in the UK just everyone lose like a lot of people I knew losing their jobs and like people being made redundant and I just thought I don't want to be the one who's selling on a hundred pound print saying uh, does anyone want to buy a hundred pounds worth prints or does anyone want to buy this painting or like I was just like I can't do that it just didn't it just didn't feel right to me like I again I, I wasn't I'd come back from New Zealand uh still in my overdraft still on my credit card so like the start of 2020 I didn't have any money and I was like well I couldn't buy a print if someone was trying to sell even if I wanted to like I wasn't in a position to do that and I said to my creative consultant that I don't know what to do. Like, do I continue what I was going to do and, and put this work into like make more prints and sell these prints and sell artwork? And she was like, well, have you thought about doing like um, something people can pay for? Like if it was £10 a month, would you feel happy promoting that? And I was like, yeah, that'd be nice. Like that's a good, you know, that's a nice amount that it doesn't feel too cheeky and it doesn't feel too like I felt comfortable doing that. And it was also at a time where um, I felt like I had, um, I'd been lecturing for so long and I felt like I had those skills 
to teach online um and also there was like lots of things that all came together at once so it was the money side of not really wanting to promote too much of my more expensive work there was um teaching and like my lecturing work had all gone online so I was on a steep learning curve of learning how to teach online anyway mm-hmm. and then there was um uh I think we already spoke about it a little bit about the idea that Instagram supported me through a time when I was at my lowest and that community that I'd built on Instagram and supported me to develop my work and I just I was like what I really want to do is create a space where I create the space and everyone else can develop their work and like we'll create this really nice community of just that was that's all I wanted to do and when I set it up I was like right it'd be really nice if I could just cover my phone bill and my gym (laughs) membership because I was like and uh I was like that's that those were my like big outlays really every month they were coming out and they were the ones that I was like do I cancel these like I can't really afford them but I need like going to the gym gives me that mental he- mental health space and like I run my business through my phone so I need them but I can't afford them and I was like right I just want to make however much that was a month I just need to do that and I set it up and um it started there were you know the first month every I remember every day my dad would screen he'd go on he'd have it as like a tab on his computer and every day he would go on and screen grab how many patrons I had Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how much it had grown and he'd send it to me and he'd be like oh you've got two more oh you've got three more (laughs) and he was like what are you gonna like what are you gonna do when you get to 100 like it was it was like it started off like oh my gosh you've got 50 like there's 50 people and I was like yeah that's really good and he was like what are you gonna do or like it might have even been less it might have been 20 he was like there's 20 people I was like I know it's amazing that's 20 people and then it was 50 and then it was 100 and then um but so now we've got there's about four just over 400 I think it peaked to last month at 450 there was 450 of us um and now it's it's a, around 400 which is you know people are saving for christmas and it's there's never any pressure to stay it's 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 such a lovely community i think people naturally want to stay but for me there's never any it's not a hard sell to stay every month um and it's just really lovely like it's turned into what i wanted it to be and more so the patrons are just really supportive of each other that they've set up their own like drawing groups. So they draw online and they, so I host like three live sessions a month if you're part of the top tier, but my patrons through their discord channel have set up two other, I think there's two, there might be more like other drawing sessions. So you could draw every day, you know, you could draw twice, three times a week with people if you want to. Um, And that's just like, that is, everything I could have wanted and more from it really like they they make it they're just yeah they're amazing and my mum messages me every time we do a live session I'll share the work that's been made and my mum messages me like they're so talented and I was like I know they're amazing <laughs> they're, yeah so yeah it's just I I don't share it's not like a place to come and it's I don't do like come and learn to draw like me it's come and learn techniques that you can put into your own work and that was important to me from the beginning it was it's never meant to be a uh learn these skills and you can draw this it's like a learn these skills and apply it to your own work and develop your own work um which yeah that was always really important 
I I really like what you said uh, for for multiple reasons and I want to go into all of them in parts so I don't miss something. Um so when you when you just started to grow your patron um how did you how did you pitch it to your fans? How did you talk about it and how often do you continue to to share about it online? I sneakily launched it because I was too embarrassed my creative consultant gave me eight days to set it up and I think I took like two months three months like I just I was really uncomfortable I just didn't have that confidence in myself to launch it and uh, I did it really quietly to begin with and then I posted about it on Instagram Um, it's something that I try not to over promote um because it's not again it's that instagram sorry hit the microphone then it's that instagram balance of like um like we were saying earlier like i'm an artist so i should be sharing paintings and i'm a i am a sketchbook uh location drawer drawer so i should be posting those and then i teach online so should should i be posting about that and it's it's difficult but i what i really love to do is share the work that my patrons create because I feel like for me they they are the best um way to promote it because the work they make like my mum said it's just to make like it's amazing and I'll I'll set up a, I'll set a theme and I think you said earlier about how someone can draw the same view and make something so different like we we'll, we did a stamps theme a few months ago like I just bought loads of really cool stamps online and then we drew them all together um and sometimes I'll set challenges for them to do within the sessions and sometimes it'll just be unguided and it's a really nice chance to have a chat and talk talk to people about like oh what materials are you using and has anyone tried anything new or um people can ask technical questions or offer help and advice and um then you get to the end and people we do like it there's never any pressure to share but people share their work and like everyone's is just different and everyone's like approached it differently or has tried something different and you can see you can I can watch everyone else so I've got the person full screen but I've got like a line of people in my uh, vision on zoom and sometimes it's really funny you can watch people's faces like be like oh my gosh that is amazing or you can see them like you someone will mention a material that no one's got or that someone wants to try and you just see a whole row of people just reach for a pen to jot down what that person's using and um but yeah so I try and I try not to overly promote it because I think it does it does promote itself like it's um in that sense like the, the work that people make is just I think that is enough uh and yeah like I try I try and promote it as it's a it's a play it's kind of developed so at the beginning it was I wasn't really sure I was a bit unsure what it was going to become but now it's it is like a it's like a nice nice is such a a, not a good word to use but it's it's a really supportive community of people um and that's that is the best way to describe it yeah yeah and kind of just like an art career it's not easy to be very deterministic about what it's going to be you have to um uh, i just uh, my last conversation was with, was with koshikuna and we talked about this uh, being so a uh, creative entrepreneurs and i referred to this analogy that uh, a science fiction writer used and it's the idea of gardeners versus architects 
and he was talking about novels. This was actually uh, G.R. Uh, George R. R. Martin who wrote the Game of Thrones books. So he said that he's more of a gardener as opposed to an architect. The architect being a person who has blueprints and a final determined vision of what they want their work to be. Whereas he puts seeds in the ground and he waters them diligently and he prunes them and they take a certain form that he does not explicitly control or predetermine from before. And I find that to be true of most art careers, even the most successful ones. And sort of even growing a community is a bit like that. Did you, uh, I've noticed, I read on your Patreon that you have four tiers and there are different kinds of interactions you have with them. And like you mentioned with the top tier, you have uh, sessions three times a month. Uh, how did these ideas evolve over time? How did you decide upon the rules of or the methods of engagement with your community and what you wanted to do, what you were comfortable doing and what they wanted from you? How did you gauge that as well? Yeah, I am... Um... I did like that was why it took me so long to set it up because I did like research before I started so I joined other patrons um other people's patron pages and just kind of had a look at what people were doing and I sort of took note of what I liked and took note and then sort of thought well also um it was mixed so there was like looking at what people were already doing and what was possible on the platform because there's things you can do and there's things you can't do um and I really liked the live sessions like um I liked going along even if it was just like a unguided live session and people could bring along their own work and you could just have someone to sit and talk to and like uh work with or have someone on in the background just chatting like for me those are the sorts of videos as a freelancer or someone who was at their desk all day. Those are the sorts of videos that I really wanted. So I was like, I knew that that was something I really wanted to do. And then again, it was uh, through Instagram. I was already sharing so much about my process. So it was a lot of material, loads of material questions. And I think as I started to sell my work, I just, I put all the money that I made really back into buying materials. Um, and it was something that I had done when I was being doing ceramics. Like every time I made ceramics and sold them, I would buy more stock and to paint onto or more clay. And then like, it was just a, I would just invest back in. And I think I was naturally doing that when I first started selling prints. So I was buying these materials and then I was sort of showing them on Instagram stories and being like look at what you can do with this like this is cool this is and those were always my most engaged stories is when I was sharing just something like even just color combinations that I bought or something new that even something that I already had that I was just playing around with so I knew that people sort of were interested in that so that also became I knew that was going to become part of it um and yeah like I guess a bit of like like YouTubing research as well. So looking at what people are doing on YouTube. So like unboxings of like art supplies and like testing those out. And yeah, it's, it was a bit of everything really, but it it was designed around what I would have, what I, what I would want now, but also what I would have wanted when I was first starting, like, right. like that community element and like those videos so that I wasn't spending like, 50 pounds on pencils to be like oh I only like two of these um like that that makes a big difference when you're you know you're starting and you don't have that money to 
not waste because it's not waste you'll use them in a different way but sometimes it does feel like oh I really wish I hadn't bought that and I re- I really wish I had made some bad uh, purchases <laughs> um before so yeah that felt yeah this it was a big mix of things but I feel like I've got a good balance now it took a few months of like trying things out and trying out different types of video and trying out like what worked and what didn't work um but it feels like a good balance now yeah mm-hmm. yeah um now you were mentioning uh, this hesitation of talking about it on instagram because what are the things you talk about and what are the things you don't talk about kind of a box that well we we put on ourselves but we feel that it is externally imposed upon us and a part of it is just maybe shame is not the the best word but there is a bit of hesitation towards the idea of monetizing or openly monetize telling people that you are monetizing and it feels a little wrong and there is this idea that we're supposed to give our work out for everybody why should you take something in return it makes you look greedy it makes you look uh, commercial and these are words that we should avoid but that's the interesting time of flux that we are in because for the longest time it's been this way that and this is how i think of how the creator economy is working that for the longest time it's been that we just show our art and just like you mentioned that you were waiting for projects to fall into your lap what else are you supposed to do you're supposed mm-hmm. to do your work and then you're supposed to you're going to be bequeathed certain projects someone is going to bestow generosity upon you a large patron of some kind who uh, commissions you to do work or a company that sponsors you to do work for them or hires you to do work for them and that was the way for artists to 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 do their job and now we've reached this point where and just like the conversation you mentioned this idea of getting 10 pounds a month from somebody and it's such a it's such an interesting time of change for all nature of creatives to think not only that you can do this to think also that you're allowed and it's okay to do this and then finally what i really like and as an outsider again i really enjoy this aspect of thinking what it is that is worth 10 pounds a month and how can that fit into the things that you are comfortable doing and the things that you enjoy doing and not not something that's that's unnatural for you or feels forced to you so it's it's a nice it's it's uh, an intersection of work and fun and joy and i really like being in this emerging space as a result yeah i i do and i don't because because it's new like this emerging space i feel like i'm walking along like a knife edge with it like if all my patrons decided tomorrow to leave that's like quite a big chunk of my monthly income would go and like that you know there's no there's no pressure for them to stay there's no like contract that they have to stay like they could all go tomorrow and then what do i do but like i feel I feel personally, you know, I don't often blow my own trumpet, but I do feel like 10 pounds it's a good 10 pounds it's a, they get a nice they get a good amount of stuff for 10 pounds a month like I think it's it is a good a good deal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if a deal's the right word to describe you're, you're it. You're allowed to say it. <laughs> <laughs> And I think like if you can back, you know, 
if you can I think we mentioned it earlier like you do you 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 get like a that connection with someone whereas before I really struggled as well before I had patron like my because I was sharing stuff online like process and advice and I could only give so much because Insta- the way Instagram's laid out, like my inbox was always just full of messages. I couldn't get back to people. People were asking for help, but I couldn't give like one-to-one advice for free. Like I can't do that. Whereas now if a patron does come into my inbox, I'm, I can see it. I can reply. I can give advice if they, if I think they need it. But like quite often, you know, it'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll make a video about that. And then five other people will go, oh yeah, I've really needed this. Thank you. So it's really it's it's a really nice it's felt like it's felt very natural again like I like to do things slowly I like things to connect up and for me it's it really has felt like it's all connected up and it's such a yeah like you say it's great it's so it's so nice to be in this emerging space where you can make money yourself like I'm not relying on someone else to pay me you know other than patron but um like yeah it's it's so nice but it does it does feel very it feels scary in a sense, like it, 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 you know, anything can, anything can happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's, again, it's just a matter of perspective, right? Because it's scary that anything can happen, but it's also amazing that anything can mm-hmm. happen. And <laughs> yeah. you don't know, uh, nobody knows what works is really scary, Yeah, but nobody knows what works is super liberating also Mm -hmm. Uh, speaking of interactions is it's so interesting to me how instagram works versus how uh, well how social media now works versus how these community-based interactions so you've got a discord Mm -hmm. and how patreon also works can you tell me how you what kind of things you do on your discord what what kind of uh, is it is it mainly in, uh, interactions that you cat you spark or you start or do you see people starting to more engage with themselves outside of your own role yeah so so when i first set it up i was really active on there i had the app on my phone i had i always had the uh, the page open on my laptop and it would ding and i'd know and i could go on and like go and um uh, answer anyone's questions or see what people had had and I set up all the channels on there and I started the threads on there so I'd say like this is for this here's like we've got a podcast one so I said I really like this podcast and then other people will comment and say like I like this one I like this one I like this one and like so I'll start it off um but now it's it runs by itself like it's not as active as it could be it could be more active if I was on there more um but it I have a I have a few patrons um who are just amazing and they are always they like will get back to people for me as well and be like oh Emma talked about this in this video and if I do log on and I'm a little bit late I'll be like oh my gosh thank you so much like they (laughs) got back to them for me which again is exactly what I wanted to create it was always meant to be this community feel and um at the start of 2021 this year (laughs) (laughs) years years have just all melted together at the start of this year um I mentioned earlier I had I've had a few burnouts recently and the start of 2021 was like a huge burnout like this time of year is always really busy um for creatives anyway but like I just took on too much and I just really struggled to get back into a creative groove in January like this year so 
me and some friends set up a breakfast club. So every morning we were just on Zoom at half eight uh, and it was just a recurring meeting. So those who could join came along and we'd just draw for however long. And it was a really nice way to start the day. And then I shared it with my patrons and I shared the sketchbook after a month of drawing every day. I shared my sketchbooks and I said, we've been doing this for a month. Like, isn't it amazing? Um, and we were we I, we were share all all the girls in the group were kind of sharing the work on Instagram and people were saying, like, how can I join? Can I join in? Where can I join? So I knew people wanted this. And I said to I said, like, oh, maybe I should set up extra sessions and like and but actually I just said to them like you host it like you 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 lot should host them like set them up yourselves so the girls um that do host it they set up their own discord which is you get to it through mine so you have to come through mine to get to it um but they set one up and now there's like several sessions a week that run without me but that my patrons host um themselves and that's all done through discord so I'm a member of that one as well so I can see when they're doing it and I can see the reference images they're putting in and like they're all chatting about each other's work and giving each other feedback and like I mean really it's gone above and beyond what I could ever imagined it would be because it's happening now without me being there to curate it I'm I've like brought together these group of people who are all wanting the same thing you know they want to draw and talk about drawing and that's what they want to do and like they're doing it themselves and that's just so so lovely but that that all runs through discord um and yeah it's uh it's such a nice platform it feels like because some people join my patron and they go well we've never used discord before and I always describe it it's like a like an old school MSN mixed with a blog. <laughs> like <laughs> it's a bit clunky, but when you get your head around it, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. 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 I've, I've had that same uh, interaction telling people to join me on discord and especially the people who support me every month. And some of them are hesitant because it's another platform and do they want another app? And a lot of people are jaded by Facebook and Instagram. So they think it's going to be another social media app. And I, I have to tell them this, that it's not, it's not social media. It's very specific interactions and it's much more, actually your description of it as MSN messenger and might, might work. I think yeah. I might use yeah, yeah. that one because <laughs> I think do. that's what it's like. It's yeah. Uh, Reddit also does the same thing. Like it's a text-based forum, which has been its look since the 2000s and it it works. It's very old school in a lot of ways, but that just works very well because it's not in your face. It's not throwing things at you the way we've come to expect from social media. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you can organize, like it's all, you can just organize everything as well. So if someone does just want materials advice, they can just go onto the materials channel and then quite often you can like scroll back up and find what you're looking for. Um, And we've got a swap shop on there as well, which I really need to push a little harder, but I want, you know, when, uh, like I said, I've bought materials before and been like, oh gosh, I don't need these. Um, and what I want to do is trying to curate that so people can swap the stuff they're not using. So it's not that we're, I don't want to constantly be plugging people to buy more materials. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. We, it's almost like if you go out to an, a, a sketches event and an urban sketches event and someone's going using something and then you go, oh, can I try that? And then I almost want that, but like 
remotely <laughs> from around the world but yeah it's um yeah it's it's a lovely it's a uh, the community that's built uh, we're called the Payne's Grey Club because it's my favorite color pencil um and it's just I couldn't ask for a lovely group of people really they're lovely amazing people yeah yeah i i feel the same way about uh who what i call my insiders sneaky art insiders <laughs> and that's what the discord is about and i i love to talk to them i've i've also started some recently i've uh, because of the kind of different things i do i've se- uh, separated the channels so that there is one dedicated to people who are invested in me simply because they are listeners of this show and then there are others who are invested as fellow artists and people who like my art people who bought my work before so they can sort of subscribe to only those channels and not be bothered about the others mm-hmm. and i've been thinking about things to do so actually later today i'll be doing a a, a sketchbook show and tell because we're at the end of october and a lot of uh, a certain group of my uh, discord members were doing inktober so we're going to look through each other's oh, sketchbooks nice. and Another thing I just started doing which is a lot of fun and I'll be doing it with this episode also is I do this thing called a listening party which is that once a new episode releases uh, the next day or later that same day I play the episode on a specific audio channel on Discord and you can join in and you can listen and we can pause and ask questions and uh, have a chat running while the episode plays and i did that with the last episode and it was great like we had this really lovely chat with a few people and it was so nice to because i've heard i edit these episodes also mm. so i hear them like three <laughs> almost the the value of listening to it three times although i don't listen start to finish three times but i pause i go back i pause yeah, i go yeah. back i edit a bit so it's like a two hour conversation becomes an eight hour experience for me with the editing <laughs> included so the first time i did this i thought it's going to be so tedious to listen to this again because i never do that once i release an episode i never listen to it again but i did it this time and it was so much fun to listen with someone else and to keep hearing uh, on the on the chat to see their thoughts from what's happening in the conversation and then reacting to that and i think it was fun for them too because they had like a double layer of interaction like cuz yeah. they're listening to me and they're listening to me saying those things for the first time and they're chatting with me about it and now i'm talking about what i just said a few weeks ago on that episode to them in real time so it was a really fun interaction actually uh i'm going to also send you an invite to my discord because oh, i'd like yeah, i'd like do. to have you I'd, i i always send one to my guests so it's automatically definitely going to come to you but i'd like to because you're a discord user yourself I'd love to get more ideas for how you think it's doing and what I what you think I could do and just be part of some of our conversations. I think it would be so lovely. Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. I love like I've got a couple of friends who run patrons and it's so useful to have when you're also running like a like a community based um site it's so useful to hear like what other people are doing or see what other people are doing or just mm-hmm. hear how people are like managing that it, it's so useful so yeah please do please do invite yeah um one of the things you said like a few minutes ago and it's stayed with me because i think it's so pragmatic and it's something that i thought about also is when you were thinking about starting your patreon and this was during the pandemic so there's so much upheaval and you were unsure about selling 100 pound prints mm-hmm. 
so this is another theme that i think about often uh the idea being that we should think about the games we want to play and there are many games we play as artists or creatives of any kind and a, a game means what are the rules what is the goal what is how do you how what is a win mm-hmm. and why are you doing this so initially for me uh, selling it as cheap as possible was a good way to go because the goal was to see can i sell Mm-hmm. do lots of people want what i'm making and am i pricing them out or are they not interested so being to be able to answer that i needed to have a price suitably low so that i could see if they are interested if that's the only is that if they if nobody buys now it means they simply don't want it it's not that they can't afford it so that means i should do certain things and take another deeper look at my work and see why why don't people want it because it's not about the money but then you reach a point where you have to think about these logistics so now i don't because everything is remote and i don't enjoy promoting my prints because of the tedium around packaging it and mm-hmm. posting it and i don't want to do it so i'd rather not <laughs> do it and that means uh increasing the price of it a little bit and that makes me feel a little queasy but there's this thing of what is art worth and this applies to originals as well as prints that art is not really worth it's not it's not like a you know again coming back to that objective quantifiable engineer's attitude you can't just quantify the value of art no. it's worth what it means to people it could the same drawing i make 3 years ago was worth 5 dollars then because that's the most somebody would pay for it and today maybe it's worth 500 dollars because somebody might be willing to pay 500 dollars for it and in a year from now who knows maybe it's worth 5000 because that's what somebody's willing to pay for it that's what it means to them with respect to who i am and what my work is blah 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 so art has no intrinsic value maybe that's the right way to put it and part of being an artist is to decide what value it has so here's it's it's a little odd situation like other than how good you are or what you mean to people another thought i have is if i sell something at 20 dollars and somebody buys it they buy it thinking that it's a 20 dollar item but if i sell the same thing at 200 dollars and somebody buys it they buy it thinking that it's a 200 dollar item now there's no change in outward quality of the item i also sell g clay prints on fine art paper so it's all really high quality but the the nature of that transaction also determines kind of what it means to them mm-hmm. so if you if you sell yourself at $5 you are a $5 artist and your work will be treated as such and that can mean certain things and if you sell your art at $100 suddenly that art is worth $100 does that make sense yeah it definitely makes sense and it's like a like almost sometimes people want to spend a hundred pounds. Like they've, they've got a hundred pounds because they've got a special event coming up or they want to buy something special for a birthday or a, a anniversary. I get a lot of like people, um, people buying uh, paint original paintings as um, wedding gifts. I find, I find I, I have a lot of people either um, someone's put it on their wedding list or someone's um, saying, oh, I'm getting married and I want to buy my partner this 
painting and like that's a it's a special thing like it's like I'm so grateful for those people who want to like have that event almost uh made into a physical purchase is one of my paintings that's amazing but like if if it if it, if I'm selling a painting of 100 200 pounds and I'm selling a painting at 20 pounds all of a sudden the if it's the same painting a 200 pound painting for a wedding it, people want to pay that but like if it's 20 pounds for a for a wedding it doesn't it doesn't feel enough you know so it's yeah there's definitely there's definitely a psychology behind it and I think when it comes to prints it's funny what you said about that engineer's way of thinking because when it comes to prints it's very straightforward like the print has cost you x amount like the the it's going to arrive and then you've got to package it and that packaging is going to cost x amount and you can figure it out logistically like how much that time is worth for you as well of like packaging and sending and everything and like how much the print like the art itself is to make and blah 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 blah. but like you can logistically figure that out but with a painting like I don't keep track of the materials I'm using on it or the hours I'm spending on it or the cost that it would have totaled or like I have no idea so you kind of just it's not pucking a number out of the air but you're kind of like judging around who else is in that area that you're in and like seeing what they're selling paintings for and being like well if they're selling it for that much I don't want to I need to sit around that figure as well and then but now I'm starting to work with galleries so I've got that they take if you know they can take 50% as well so I need to think well it needs to be enough that if a gallery did want this painting I need to still make enough money from it that I'm that I cover all those things that I just mentioned, you know, including time. So, yeah, it's it's like an unknown variable, I guess, when you're starting to work on original art. But like, like you said, you know, it, it twenty pounds or two hundred pounds. It's it, it's what that person you make that person feel as well with that purchase. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it's such a great example that when you mention about the wedding, that people are looking to spend a certain amount because again this is a bit of the psychology of how we how we use money or what money means to mm-hmm. us and if they're looking to spend 200 pounds that same piece of art at 20 pounds mm-hmm. doesn't work mm-hmm. even though it's the same piece of art yeah. it it wouldn't it wouldn't fulfill psychologically what they're looking to to do yeah and how we price ourselves again it's it's so true it's very much like that that i i tell myself and this is part of giving myself permission to price myself rightly that i never go backwards so if i've ever sold an original at a certain price this is now my baseline i cannot i don't need to go backwards and i will not go backwards and it's it's just something you need to do to kind of steal yourself for these decisions because they're such uncomfortable decisions. There's so much guilt attached to them that I just I just hate this aspect of it. And I wish I I both wish that I had somebody to do this for me. <laughs> and then at times I'm like, no, I don't want I, I want to do it myself. Like I want I love having this control, but uh I just it it's it's you have to sort of split yourself down the middle to think like a business person and then to think like the creative person who understands what goes into something yeah I I heard a really good bit of advice I can't remember if Emily gave me this or 
it was someone else but it, like a price should a price when you price a piece of work it should make you feel a bit uncomfortable like you shouldn't feel comfortable with that price it should always be a price that you feel a bit like oh like oh I don't know is someone going to pay that like then that's yeah. the price that you should go for because like yeah like it, a price should never make you feel comfortable so true like uh I, I took on this commission a few weeks ago and I quoted a price and they said yes and my next thought was they said yes too quickly I did this yeah. wrong <laughs> this was not something like yeah. I'm not doing it right if people and and this happened like I had been quoting that price for a few weeks at that point and I'd gotten a number of commissions on it and I just thought that if I'm now starting to get all the commissions everybody's saying yes to this price that means I'm definitely not charging enough yeah because you're in demand yeah exactly you have to push a little and this kind of flexible situation is again both unnerving and super liberating mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely it's a good it's a good it's a nice place to be it is yeah. a nice place yeah. to be <laughs> yes actually yes all things considered it's yeah. it's good to be uh, have this conflict than yeah. not <laughs> yes um so uh, te- tell me a little bit about um now you mentioned that you're kind of ready to take a bit of a step back from the level of work you've been doing so mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about uh, what kind of work you want to do going forward how do you see this next year playing out for yourself creatively personally etc i really i i uh i burned out again recently so i said at the beginning that i've burned out a couple of times since then so i had a really big burnout at the start of 2021 and then since then I I work at a really high level or I work not at all like those are my two levels of working and um I've not been able to reach that level of working all year I think I my body's just not been able to get back up to that level um and I think it's just a a sign really that I need to slow down (laughs) like I really need to slow down and um I burnt out I've just finished a couple of projects and I've burnt out again and like the only time I feel really good at the moment is when I'm in the middle of nowhere in nature like whether that's by the sea or on Dartmoor or somewhere just either drawing or not drawing that's the only time I feel like really balanced and I think it's time to revisit again like a six-week location drawing project or like I keep thinking at the moment about taking canvas out with me. So it's not just sketchbooks. I'm also taking canvases with me. I've only tried it once before and I really struggled. So, but I feel like that was, you know, a, over a year ago, it's time to give that another another go. Um, but I I just, I really, really need that time on location. Like I need, I know, I know that it's like, it's what I need to do. I just now need to carve out that time to do it. So um quite often I'll uh let other things like prioritize that because it's not part of my natural practice anymore like it was my practice for so long like every you know at least once a week out on location sometimes twice and like now it's it doesn't happen as much as I'd like it to so for me that's the next I need to get I get through sounds horrible but this is always the busiest time of the year and I need to get to January and then um I'm hoping to put together like a book of my sketchbooks so like a really nice coffee table book um location drawing really is like at the center of everything I do so with the um when I was talking about like struggling with color and struggling with like 
work in the studio like I know what I need to do I I know that I need to go out on location and draw more and be more out um, outdoors and be by the coast and go on the coast path and I knew I'd even just walks like today where I don't take my sketchbook and I just go and just have an hour like I know that's what I need to do but it's that understanding that uh, again we talked about it earlier like the uh, uh, um, productivity like it doesn't tick any productivity boxes like if my mum called me and said what did you do today and I said I went on a walk for an hour <laughs> it's not like a um, it doesn't tick a box but for me it's more than that and I need I need that so January the plan is to I'm gonna I've hired a designer to do the design work for some like coffee table books for my sketchbooks mm-hmm. and um I've got a couple of workshops that I'm booking in like physical workshops getting back and drawing with people again which will be amazing um and then yeah the plan is really wh- whether whether it's six weeks or whether it extends to six months or the the rest of the year again but just to go out drawing and rediscovering places to draw that I haven't there's so many places that I haven't explored in Devon like it's like um my boyfriend grew up here so he takes me places and I'm just like I can't believe I've never been here like Mm -hmm. I've lived here so long and I didn't I've never been so there's so much of North Devon I've not explored and that would be the dream really oh excuse me that would be the dream for next year yeah yeah do you feel like uh having a Patreon following liberates you a little bit it allows you to take these decisions that are away from you know one line of work yes and no so yes financially I know it's there so that's that's really nice and also if I go out and draw on location for uh six weeks I've got then six weeks of content to show them at the end so I've got a video that can be made into a video and I'll probably learn something on those six weeks and that can be made into like a sketchbook challenge. And then that can translate into like a live session that I do with them, or I can collect photo references, which I can use in a live session with them. So everything feeds into those patron sessions, um, which is really nice. Um, But I suppose really I could also, if, like I said earlier, I, I I do quite like a risk. So, I I could if I if if I was feeling like a big risk I could pause everything like I could just take a break from everything and just focus in on drawing again for myself and I think really that's I think I'm missing a little bit of that at the moment like everything I do is either shared on Instagram or Patreon or becomes a product and like I've lost a bit of myself in that so I think maybe mm-hmm. it is time to just give myself a proper break yeah um, I think yeah that would be quite, it would be um again like my creative consultant I know I've mentioned her a few times but she does structure me throughout the year and she told me to take sort of uh six months off from January like um from commission work so um working on sort of picture books or working on anything external um and yeah that I I keep forgetting that 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 is coming like I do need to do that um and I think I will you know patron so supportive I will keep it going but whether I take a couple of months off in there or not I don't know I don't want to scare my patrons by giving them like (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going anywhere but like it would I will be taking some time off in in the new year yeah yeah but uh I think there's some solace to take in the fact that there are no rules 
Mm, we get to yeah. define the rules here and you might find that most of your patrons are more than willing to support you in the meanwhile in the expectation of something good to come uh yes. one idea that i would throw at you uh is that in case you do take 6 months and you are also thinking about making a book it's a nice promise to give your existing patrons who stay with you for 6 months a copy of the book yes yeah that's really nice i so i've got a designer on board she's that i'm working with and she's helping me put together so i'm going to do a uh the plan is to have a devon and cornwall book next year and um a new zealand book so from when i went to new zealand just before the pandemic i left i had a month in new zealand at the end of 2019 so i filled like four sketchbooks and it's time to wow. bring those together into something i think uh yeah it'd be so nice to see them in one book and yeah yeah that sounds lovely and i really look forward to following or finding out afterwards about <laughs> the adventures you have since of course you'll be a little away from social media but it's just to hear about all your plans and the way that you're charting your path in this in this new world is very interesting to me because like it's part of why i have these discussions also that i'll i'll find ideas that people of things that people are doing based on the information and the support systems that they have built around themselves and that will and good ideas almost work better the more the number of people that pick them up Yes. So um I want to thank you Emma for such a lovely conversation. I've uh, I've enjoyed listening to it and I've learned so many wonderful things from talking to you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I can't believe how long we've been talking. It's so, <laughs> it's so nice. It's I, I like as I said I love listening to your podcast. Like and the depth you go into is just amazing. So yeah, thank you for hosting. Thank you for asking me. The conversation continued postscript in a segment that will go out to sneaky art insiders very soon. To become an insider and gain access to this, hit the link in the show notes. Also, this is my last big episode of this year as I'm on vacation in India until January, but that doesn't mean the new episodes stop. I'm going to be releasing some interesting material over the next month or so, including a peek into postscript conversations from past episodes so stay tuned and i'll see you in the next one